<laughs> what's up? Uh, what's up? I'm curious if that made the cut before we went live. <laughs> Probably. Hopefully, we'll see. <laughs> That's funny. Though. I hope everything's all right. Yeah, everything's okay. Okay. Um, what's up, everybody? Welcome, we episode a, 100. I cannot believe we made it. To, I can't believe we made it to this point. This is. I haven't been stressed out about an episode in a long time. This one is stressing me out a little bit. I'm not gonna. Lie. You're a little stressed, huh? I'm a little stressed right now. It's because we've got a lot of ground to cover. We you don't want to. You don't. Cover. We got a special, very special guest. I'm sure a lot of people are gonna be watching. So, yeah, let's make this a good one. Thank you everybody for joining us. Thank you everybody for sticking with us for 100 episodes. Hell yeah. Wow. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. And this might be your first episode. This might be, I don't know, your 100th episode. I don't know. But still, you know what we do every episode? We hit him with the spiel. So please, if you don't already, follow us on Facebook. Give us a like. Go to our Instagram. Give us a follow. Please go to our iTunes. Give us a five-star rating, a review if you like what you're hearing and watching. Uh, please go to our YouTube, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, leave a comment, share it. All that stuff stuff helps the algorithm and helps our store, our thing get around and it helps the world see it. And we also have a Patreon. Um, we've just made our Patreon. Uh, it's $3 a month and you can see everything you like at the bonus. We have, we watch sections with our guests. We do inside outs, the trick tips. We have three pieces. We do, uh, we're working on some new segments right now and we're hoping to add more to the year. So you could be a Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Every month we do a giveaway. You could, we do a, a random uh, spin, you know, a random selection. And if you win, you get to get something from our store, whether it be a shirt, a mug, uh, a some of our merch, so a hat. So check out our, check that out. And yeah, that is the spiel. Uh, and everyone who was a Patreon prior to this gets everything stays the same, but now it's $3 a month. And with that, we're hoping to add more content to the Patreon. So thank you to all of our Patreon subscribers. And uh, with that, Austin, do you want to shout out some of our Patreon subscribers? Yeah, we got some new Patreon supporters uh, the last week because on episode 99, uh, we announced that this was going to be the last little break until episode 100 where we raised the tier. So we have a few last minute people right here. Uh, big shout out to Marcus Andarazi, Jason Noir, Ryan Fisher, Jay O'Neill, your cousin Jay O'Neill. <laughs> cousin Harrington. Jay. <laughs> Aaron Harrington, Andy Liu, Jeff Sisko, Victor, and Rob Fisher. Thank you all so much. And we hope that everybody you know can be a part of the Patreon community. We actually do um, commentary sections with our guests sometimes too, which we will be doing with our very special guest today, Chris Haffey. So if you are a Patreon supporter, you'll be able to see that. And thank you all so much. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. I got to say, you killed the names, man. I practiced a little bit this time. I don't always practice. This time I practiced. Nice. Nice. I told, I told you I was nervous. I had to, I had to get some, some prep work done in. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I, I hate to. Uh, it's, this is a huge episode for us. We're extremely stoked. I have to, for a moment, uh, because we're addressing a lot of people in the community, some people live. Um, something that's seriously uh, important to one of the members of our, of our community. Um, Julian Isaac of, of the Isaac brothers, uh, William and Julian Isaac. Julian Isaac's been missing for 48 hours, and apparently the police aren't doing much to help. So he was last seen in Pasadena, Texas, June 15th at 5 in the morning. Black shirt, black pants, um, tan boots. If you have any information about this, please contact the number on the screen, 713-292-3215. That's the phone number for his brother, William Isaac. Um, so 
it's a horrible situation and we're praying and hoping for the best uh for the for them and their family so i just you know just wanted to uh take take the take the time to address that really quick because um that's that's a very important situation in our community so if you have any information about that please uh contact marisol the number you see on the screen three four six two eight two zero three nine seven or william seven one three two nine two three two one five wishing nothing but the best and praying for the best for everyone in their family uh, yeah. let's let's bring our brother home everybody if you have any any tips or any info on that please let them know uh let's we have a lot of stuff to cover this episode um let's do let's take our sponsor for this episode a very special sponsor for this episode as well uh, for the whole year, actually. Blank by Rollerblade, who's been supporting this show the entire year. Um, they have a lot of cool things coming out, so be sure to give them the follow. The Instagram is in the link in the description of the YouTube video. Uh, play this little trailer to get a little feel for what the team is doing over at Blank. Thank you so much again, Blank by Rollerblade, for sponsoring this episode. Be sure to give them the follow Blank Rolling Products on Instagram. Yep. Uh, Shout out Blank by Rollerblade. Been holding this down and with us on our 100th episode. All the way to 100. What a milestone. Mm-hmm. Let's, uh, let's go to our WTF of the week. We have a very special WTF of the week. It's a little, we un- do. A little unconventional, but yes. it's our 100th episode. So, mm-hmm. my, What's my Alexa doing? Alexa, stop. Sorry about Uh-oh. that, everybody. Uh-oh. <laughs> I had to Uh-oh. mute her. I had to shut her it, up. It wouldn't be a show without some, you know, technical. <laughs> that's not, out of 100 episodes, I think it's the first time Alexa went off. So that's not really <laughs> but, That's pretty uh, good. So we're, we're doing a little different this time for episode 100 because F it, why not? WCF coming to us from. Tribute from our guest. Hell yeah. <laughs> Throwback. With uh, some of his Nitro Circus moves on the mega ramp. Maybe he could tell us what that is. Is that like a double Misty? Maybe. What do you call it? I would say I would say Misty. Oh, man. It's because <laughs> I, I would say I would say Misty to fakey Misty. Right. But you're already fakey but in the then, air, I guess. So. But then it's. But 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 then that could be a line, right? Like Misty to fakey Misty. Right. So then it's like not saying it's like one complete bit. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's really hard to. It's a tough one. If, if anyone's watching this, please uh, leave your suggestions in the comments. Mm-hmm. What. Is that what is that called? I don't know. Maybe Chris has has uh, I was an answer say, for that. Maybe, maybe he'll, he's probably listening right now. Like, God damn you, idiots! Like, it's this. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, God damn you! It's a tornado. I named it ten, five years ago. Come on, <laughs> the tornado, you silly guys. <laughs> it's, right. a, it's a flipping tornado. <laughs> Congrats to Chris Hafey. You got the WTF of yeah. the week. Um, we have, uh, like you mentioned in all our promotion for this episode, we have a very very special giveaway to celebrate our 100th episode we're going to get to that in a second before i do that i want to mention a couple of events that are happening in the northeast uh next month the first one is uh the blading camp by john welsh um it's the third annual new england blade and camp in vermont and new hampshire so if you're in the new england area or east coast and want to check it out uh it's a really fun camping trip august 19th through the 23rd 
I have not gone to this yet, but everybody always tells me how fun it is. I always have work this weekend, so damn me for not being able to go. But there's skating, camping, swimming, contests, and a premiere of sorts. So Wow, look yeah, at that. A lot going on. It's kind of like Colorado. We're Road back, baby. We're back. Co COVID's dying. We're, we're back, baby. COVID, take a back seat. We got the blading camp take coming. <laughs> take a back seat. <laughs> oh, I love I'm with it, bro. Yeah, I've had it. I've had it up to here with COVID. I've had it right there. New York just opened yesterday fully, 100%. <laughs> oh, same with us in California. Really? Nice. Oh, so we're, we're mm -hmm. back in it. Yeah. Let's, let's do this. I, Episode 100. I saw people with no masks at the uh, Starbucks this morning. Yep. I'm sorry I drink Starbucks. I just admitted to that. It's the closest <laughs> one to my house. I apologize. <laughs> uh, we have one All more right, event. The uh, King of the North, um, which is a uh, Rhode Island contest hosted by Jeff Downs and Matt Raz at West Warwick High School in Rhode Island. It's July 31st. Uh, it's been going on for a few years. I believe it used to be in an indoor park, but because of COVID, they made it outside, I believe. So it's at the West mm -hmm. Warwick High School, July 31st. Anybody in the mood for a nice street comp, go check it out. King of the North. All right, all right. Boom. Should we um, get into this giveaway? Should we get into our, this giveaway? Woo, we got a giveaway. I think it's cool. I think it's a cool giveaway. I think it's pretty cool, too. Um, okay. I have so, the notes uh, for you. Want me to just run run through it to make sure we don't I was going to say, lead the way. Okay, here we go. So we want to make do something special for everybody since it's the 100th episode. We want everybody, all of our guests, all our viewers, all you have been stuck in by us for the last 100 episodes. Uh, we are giving away a $500 gift card to Intuition Skate Shop so that you could buy yourself any pair of skates right now. If you need new wheels, get yourself a fresh new setup, new bearings, frames, new gear, whatever it is, $500 gift card to Intuition Skate Shop for the winner of our 100th episode giveaway. I just want to also say that this is not sponsored by Intuition. This is us just, we chose Intuition Skate Shop to, you know, do this with because they've been, Mamic has done a lot for the skating industry in the last 20 plus years. So mm -hmm. the winner gets a $500 Intuition gift card. To win this contest, uh, very simple. Just if you're listening right now, go to the YouTube uh, video. But all you have to do is leave a comment in the comment section below. Not in the live chat if you're watching, in the comment section below. And just let us know what your favorite episode was or your favorite conversation that we had on the show. That's all you got to do. Simple as that. Uh, leave it in the comment section below. And then we're going to pick one comment at random. And we're going to announce on episode 101. And you have to be subscribed to the YouTube channel. That's it. And and the the one re requirement is you have to tell a part of your favorite episode in the last 100th episodes. Yeah. And that could be on this episode, too. Could be. Just say, my favorite part of you know Jump Street episodes is this one with this person. And then we're going to select one of those at random. So that's how you enter. Again, it's not in the live chat right now. Um, so if you're watching live, just wait till this is over. Um you know, go back in because like right after this episode ends, it's going to be up on YouTube. So just go in, leave a comment, tell your favorite story or your favorite episode that you really enjoyed. And then we will select it randomly on episode 101. So $500 gift card. Um, yeah. Anyone and again, like Austin decide. said, again, like Austin said, it's, you know, this, this was, you know, as we love Matt Mickey and he sponsored the show before, but as much as, as we love him, uh, he did not uh, sponsor this. We just decided to, uh, instead of give cash, we thought it'd be cooler to have something go to the skating community and uh, something go back into skating. So buy a new pair of skates, buy a couple products, something like that, that some shirts from some companies that you support. So, uh, yeah, and we thought Intuition was the right choice because um, just OG skate shop. And we love all the skate shops, but 
just thought, uh, yeah. Yeah, so $500 gift cards online, everybody. Get those comments going. I didn't know that there wasn't a, an actual comment section in the live stream. Is that the case? I thought that it was just there all the time. So if you're watching live, I guess wait for us to finish. Just jump back in. You have like a week or so to, to get it done anyway. And if you're listening, go, go jump on the YouTube channel. Just type in episode 100 Jump Street Podcast, leave a comment, and that's it. Boom, you're done. You're entered. So, that's it. That's it. Um, good luck to everybody who enters. Should we carry on with our guests since we have a lot to cover with our very special guest this evening? Let's get straight into it. I'm pumped. I'm pumped, too. I'm ready to go. I think our guest is pumped, too. He's in the green room now drinking his coffee. He's, he's ready to go. Everybody, please welcome our very, very, very special guest for episode 100, Chris Haffey. Live from Sydney, right? <laughs> Live from down under. Yeah. I'm in Sydney. <laughs> wow, yeah. Hell it's yeah. like it's like a it's like a United Nations Zoom meeting. We got you know so Australia, times. Sydney. We got New York. We got California. Look at this. It. <laughs> it's like a United solve Nations meeting. Solving all the world's problems. <laughs> exactly. We're gonna solve all the world's oh, problems no. right here, right now. Yeah. Episode one hundred. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's start with skating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But Chris, it's really good to see you. It's been such a long time, and um, really excited to have you on this episode. And we have so much to catch up on. Um, but for, I just first and foremost want to thank you for taking the time to join us uh, on your day. I know, I know you're busy now. You're a new father, and um, you, you have your hands full with work and everything. So just want to say thanks for taking the time to, for joining us. Yeah, of course, man. Thanks for having me. Congrats on 100 episodes, by the way. That's an epic milestone. So I'm, I'm honored <laughs> to be here to, to share it with you guys. And uh, yeah, stoked to just catch up in general. It's been way too long since I've seen both of you. Yeah. I know you've been stuck down, down in sure. Australia for so long, but um, <laughs> like, for me. yeah, you have. Especially yeah. Gets I wouldn't say yeah. stuck. It looks pretty nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's per yeah, purposefully yeah. stuck at this point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, Chris, we have so much to get into and uh, we have so many stories and so many things and you have such a rich history. Um, but I like to start at the, you know, at the beginning of the story. And I, and I know you have, uh, you know, a long history in skating. Like my first time seeing you was the, with the Brian Bell videos. And uh, I think the Battle My Crew things from, from that era was like my first time getting a good grip of your skating, which was like back in the 90s or early 2000s. But um, what was the beginning like for you? When did you start and... And where and where was it? And how did you uh, how did you all come into this thing that took such a big part of your life? Yeah, well, um, skating in general. I mean, it's kind of weird. It's kind of been from as long as I can remember. I, I actually have a photo. I don't know if I can share my screen at all or not, but um, I don't think so. I have a photo from when I'm like, I don't know, two years old uh, on a pair of quad skates, and that's kind of what my parents used to do. Uh, we had a basement that was carpeted and they would just let me skate around the basement to tire myself out. <laughs> um, so that's kind of, I've been on skates since, since before I can remember. And then wow. Mighty Ducks was like a major turning point. Like it was like, all right, like I already like skates. Now I like hockey and they're doing cool stuff. So, I mean, Mighty Ducks was like, just got me deeper into like having rollerblades and then playing roller hockey uh, and then I was living in New York actually for a little while with my cousins who both played roller hockey really competitively. And so the hockey bug got me even more than it did. And then, um, from that point, uh, I ended up in Atlanta 
and then I played really competitive uh, ice hockey there. And then obviously still had skates the whole time for cross training and all that stuff. And then eventually some of the kids on my team skated and we went to, I went to a skate park with them and uh, it was kind of just no looking back from there. I just fell in love with that type of skating and that was pretty much it from that point on. Yeah. It's, um, it's fascinating, you know, because as many people who followed your career or like got gotten to know you, um, like you said, with hockey and all these things, you're clearly like athletically talented in all these, in all these different ways. Like for those of you who don't know, Chris's dad is a marathon runner. And I think your mom is uh, very athletic as well. So you just come from very, uh, athletically gifted prowess. So like all these things, like, like, (laughs) yeah. yeah. All, all the things, the flipping and, and there's all the tricks and juggling and everything from all the old videos, but then all the athletic stuff. So it's just yeah. interesting, interesting that, you know, blading was the one thing that really grabbed you uh, out of all the things. Um, what, what, what was your first video and what was the thing that you think was like, I'm into blading? Was it like the just the experience of braid, blading or was it something else? Uh, I think it was a few things, to be honest. So... Um... First video was VG5, and um, that was my first video yeah, too. Absolute, absolute classic, and I actually remember, yeah, supernatural. And I, I, mm-hmm. I remember it vividly. Like I could still see it to this day. Like I went into a play against sports in, in Atlanta, and they had it playing on um, one of the TVs there, and it was and it was on Eric Burke's part when he's kind of going through the ditch where he does like a hand plan over a, like the pipe and stuff like that. And with the big old oxygens, like, big old oxygens. And to this day, like I can remember that vividly. Like that was the first time I saw skating happening like that. And like, uh, then I bought the video on the spot, went home, watched it 400 million times. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, that was kind of it. And then I just started getting all the VGs from there, but, in terms of what really gravitated me towards skating, it was a few things. One was it was an individual sport. Like, and I, I mean, you guys know me, especially when I was younger, I was like a really shy kid. I didn't talk a lot, um, you know, all sorts of stuff. So, and it was something I could do on my own. So I didn't, I didn't need anyone else to do it and I could do it all the time. Like if I wanted to just go outside the house, I could put on my skates and, and go. And I was on, on my own. I had a play reel. I had a little ledge at my house. Um, so it was just something I could do whenever I wanted on my own. I didn't need help or, or anything like that. And then it, like hockey, I loved, but I loved the games. Like, and luckily I was like, I was, naturally kind of talented at hockey and because i'd been on skates for so long i could skate pretty well so i really hated practice like i i had a lot of fun during the games and that was about it so to me skating kind of felt like it gave me the same feelings hockey games gave me you know and i didn't have to wait for the game to come to get it you know i I could go out and like essentially have my own game you know, whenever I want. And like hockey was huge. Like I remember at one point I was on the first line and I was playing with two other guys that were really good and we would played really well together. So we, you know, would, would score quite a few goals and this and that. And that's kind of 
it, it felt good to be good at hockey. And then I remember them putting me on the third line to kind of, they, they split kind of the best guys throughout the team to as, you know, structure the team. So the team as a whole was better, which, you know, now I get it, but as like an eight-year-old kid or whatever, you're like, I just want to, you know, have fun with the guys that are good. So I didn't really get it. And then obviously when I was on the line that wasn't as good, then we weren't playing as well and it wasn't as fun and blah, blah, blah. So uh, it was a bit of my hyper-competitiveness and the fact that I could do it on my own and get the feeling that I got from the my favorite parts of hockey whenever I wanted to. So that's I think those are the main things that made me gravitate towards it. Individualism. <clears throat> and, and that actually makes sense, like, because um, I think a lot of skaters see you as a Southern California skater just from San Diego. But, uh, you know, a lot of people don't know you moved around a lot. You were in Massachusetts at first and then you went to Atlanta and then you went to uh, San Diego. So I could see, especially at a young age, moving around, it's good to have something that you could do on your own, you know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was the same everywhere I went. So it was it was good. It's, it's funny that you said that you kind of, you didn't like the practicing of hockey and that's what you felt about skating. It's like, you just go out and do it. But I feel like when you were in your heyday of like winning every contest, you were kind of practicing and training a little bit, weren't you? Yeah, it's funny. You know, I was, I was thinking about the same thing to be honest, but um, it never felt like practice. That's the thing. Hockey practice felt like practice. Like you were doing drills, you were running, you know, suicides and, and all that shit. Whereas skating to me just was like, if I was practicing, but I landed a trick that was really good, it felt the same as a game, you know, I, I don't know if that makes sense, but like, that's the thing. I mean, people say, you know, you need 10,000 hours to become an expert at whatever, but, and, you know, been asked, you know, how many hours did you spend on skates? And I have no idea. None of it felt like training. Like all of it was just legitimately me wanting to do that more than I wanted to do anything else in the world. So I was just having fun all the time. Mm. No, that, that's a, that's a good point, especially the, uh, the 10,000 hours thing. They, they always bring up that reference 10,000 hours or 50,000. And I have yeah. no good, good idea myself. I have, would have no idea how to equate that because exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't seem like, like that kind of practice. It was just like, you'd be out for maybe eight, nine hours on your skates, but it did, it didn't feel like that, you know? Yeah, 100%. I mean, and then when you get older and you start having a crew and, like, the whole crew is out for the entire day, you know, like you're on your skates 10 hours a day or whatever it is. And even, you know, when you're way younger and you're skating spot to spot, like, that's training your your basic, you know, every, every sport they always talk about the fundamentals, 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 and, and, like, everything goes back to that. And when you're skating spot to spot, you're literally training your fundamentals nonstop. And, like, the amount of of miles I put in skating spot to spot in San Diego, I could not even begin to fathom how many miles we did as kids. I feel like that wasn't like a West coast thing as much. That's the first time I've heard anybody outside of like New York kind of mention that skating spot to spot. And like people in Cali usually don't do that. That seems unusual. Well, I mean, I was talking about like I, when I was, I started going like out skating on my own when I was, 13 or 14 or something like that. Like my parents let me get a bus pass. So I would get off of the island that I lived on, or like peninsula I lived on, 
into San Diego and then we would take public transportation everywhere. So we, it's not like we were skating everywhere all the time, but sometimes it was like, okay, what's the fastest way to get to this spot on a bus? Okay, we need to make three transfers and do this, that, and the other. But if we just skate there, we can probably be there in 45 minutes and we just really <laughs> want to skate that spot. And like, I mean, that's what I mean. Like we put in miles. Like I remember skating from like National City into Chula Vista, like to Chula Vista, which is not super close or like uh, oh, man. to like Pacific Beach and stuff like that. Just because you're like, you wow. get an idea. And you're like, I want to skate this spot right now. Like, all right, how are we getting it? Let's go. Like, and it's not like we do that all the time, but there was definitely times where you're just like, Okay, let's go skate the the rails at Mission Beach. Where are we wearing the Hoya or whatever? Like, if, if we go straight down the coast, like we will get there. So, wow. like, we did, we definitely miles, but we also used you know the trolley and and the bus a lot as well. Yo, you just said forty five minutes skate to a spot. <laughs> that yeah, is man, a throwback I was, shit. I was possessed as a kid, man. Like, if I got an idea in my head, I just. That's that was it. I just wanted to be at the spot. I didn't care how long it took to get there. Yeah. And if I was skating, I was moving towards it. So. Yeah, as a kid, you don't care about that shit. But like, can you picture now skating forty-five oh, minutes yeah. to a spot and then having to skate the spot afterwards? No, definitely not. <laughs> definitely not. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I guess after Atlanta, you moved to San Diego and started skating over there. Um, doing these long skates to spots and uh, being young, taking the bus, doing all this. Um, yeah. And like I, like I was saying before, one of like the first times I saw you was in the uh, Brian Bell Battle My Cruise and the Street Dwellers and the really early Brian Bell stuff. So I'm curious, yeah. how did you end up like hooking up with that crew? Um, so it all happened pretty naturally. Like, so I moved, like I said, I moved from Atlanta to uh, San, back to San Diego and then Pretty quickly, I met Mike Leaf and Kevin Smith and like a few of those guys. And then pretty quickly after we, we started skating street, uh, I, at that point, literally all I skated was skate park. So like I started out as like a major park rat. That's the only thing I would do. And then I met Mike Leaf at uh, Mission Valley Skate Park. And he was like, we should go skate, skate street. And I was like, oh, I kept like where? Like what do we do? Like I didn't know like where to go, what to, all that stuff. So he was like, dude, come, come down to my house in Chula Vista. Like there's tons of spots around here. Uh, and you know, whatever. So we just started going to Mike's house every weekend and just skating like 10 hours a day. Um, just all street. So I turned into like a major street rat at that point. And then, um, it was really cool living in San Diego at that time because you would literally bump into Brian Bell and his crew while you were out skating street. So way before we were ever good enough to kind of be a part of their crew, we would like have run-ins with them, like just randomly be at the same spots and stuff like that, especially down in Mike's area. That was like also Brian Bell's kind of territory. So it happened pretty often that we would just run into the guys. And then, um, in terms of actually kind of getting in with Brian's crew was there was two guys. So Brent Letta and Renee Dillon were two guys that were kind of in with Brian and, uh, but also skated with us. Like, so, and it was funny, like at the time we were like, when we would skate with Brent and Renee, it was like, Oh, these guys are in, you know, they're in my daily routine. They're in wanted, they're in 
all these videos. And so we were like, dude, we're skating with like these pro skaters and all this stuff. And it was Brent, I think, eventually told Brian like, hey, you know, this other crew of kids is like getting really good and they're in the same area and blah, blah, blah. And then uh, I think he gave my phone number to Brent. Brent was a Brent Letta? Brent Letta, yeah. Brent Letta, okay. Yeah, and like, dude, it's funny. So like Nick Potterick too. Um, oh, he used God. to work at a Starbucks that wasn't far from my house. So like, we would just go in there all the time to see if he was working, and just be like, "Holy shit, that's Nick Potterick!" <laughs> and like, all this stuff there. Funny, like old, old stories. But, uh, so he like idolized that. It's like it was like the San Diego crew. It was like not only were they doing videos and stuff, but they were doing it from where we were, like skating the same spots. And like, we would go to the spots, we saw them, you know, skating videos and be like, they did that on this, like how, mm -hmm. like, you know, all that stuff. So, but anyway, yeah, it was Brent, I think that gave Brian my number. And one day I came home from school and my mom was like, hey, so there's a message on the answering machine for you from Brian Bell. He wants you to go film for a video with him. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> are you joking? Like, this is like, you, like, did someone tell you to say that? Is this, is this a prank or what's going on? And I listened to it and sure enough, it was Brian Bell. And he was like, Hey man, I got your number from Brent and, uh, you know, we're filming for, uh, Battle My Crew. So that was, that was like when I linked up with them, he was like, we're filming for Battle My Crew. We're doing a San Diego section. Um, you know, this is the concept of the video and all that stuff. And, you know, I'd love to go film with you and get some tricks for it. And like that, that was kind of it. He, he had to come over and meet my parents. <laughs> my parents were like happy to let me get in a car with him and all of that stuff. And uh, from that point, we just started filming all the time. Cause I think I was still probably 13 or something at, at that point, because I do remember for a fact, my dad brought, um, me and Mike and a few other guys for my 15th birthday uh, skate uh, skating street in Orange County. Like we went to Santa Ana to the um, to the Animal Cracker School. We went to Wilson and we went to mm -hmm. uh, Bank Parkway, the flat rail to the down down rail ledge thing. And Brian Bell came. Classics. With us. So, yeah, but Brian Bell came with us and my dad on my 15th birthday to go skate street and in uh, Orange County. So when I first started skating with Brian, I think I was still probably 13. No way. By the way, yeah. I, I got to say this, like uh, all the years of knowing you, you've been such like uh, a boss and for lack of a better word, just like an alpha in the game. And to hear you like have like these grommet moments are actually pretty sick. Like to hear you be like, oh man, there's Nick Potterick. Because I've totally had those kind of moments myself, yeah. you know, but it's just really cool to hear you express them actually. I was about to say the um, same exact shit. Yeah. yeah. I, I was, was going to say I had a smile on my face the whole time you were saying that story because it, it was so unusual to hear that side of a, right. a skate story from, yeah, from Chris. So, yeah, just once. <laughs> But yeah, like like just uh, come yeah. home and get a message from B Bell on your answering machine when you're like 13, right? Like my daily routines out and shit. But you know, you know what's so funny? Like uh, I, I like that Brian went there to go. Like the parents, like yeah. his parents wanted to make sure Brian was good. Yeah. Like did did they see any of Brian's video? Like I, 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 I was, well, that was gonna, before that, Chris. I think, right? I, 
I was going to ask, like, you know, um, your folks you checked to make sure Brian was good and a good guy, and, yeah. and you went skating with him and your dad. Um, did yeah. they see any of his videos of like the the, the fighting and and the, and this and the and the spiders and you know all this stuff? Yeah. Um. To be honest, I think because my parents were very strict as well, like just in general, like um, not not in like a bad way, but just in terms of what I consumed in terms of like music and you know, video, video games and stuff like that. So um, I think when I would show them his videos, though, I was very selective of what mm -hmm. it was that I was showing them. Um, so I don't think they knew the full extent. Like, yeah, because I mean, as a 13 year old, 14 year old, 15 year old, like there were some pretty hectic situations I ended up in with Brian in, in terms right. of like, places we were or things and which, you know, looking back now, they weren't they weren't that hectic, but they were hectic as a 13 year old kid or a 14 year old kid or whatever it was, but, um, in just places we were skating and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, it, I was, it was selective, selective showing to, to, in terms of what they would see. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's so funny to me that relationship because, um, especially at the time, you know, when you were, I, I think, uh, safe to say like more sh shy of a person um he was like a bit of the opposite you know he was very extroverted and out there and and, and a bit of what you know wild it was billy bell like i think that's pretty well known um so i think i think it's just funny that you guys had that had that close relationship and and uh yeah he was such a big advocate of you for such a long time and awesome to see all like your early yeah. stuff in there you can still go back and watch it now and it still it still stands the test of time like your first clips in his video in his videos yeah cheers man i mean i think a lot of that was from skating with him i mean like he was like he was my idol before like before his videos just him skating like he was he ripped and he did the type of stuff i like to do like i mean things that stand out like remember that big 450 he did over that bank like the bank over the two rails uh, oh, yeah. to the other bank and stuff like that. It was like, when I saw that as a kid, I was like, I don't even understand how that's possible. Like, how right. did he do that? And that kind of shit was like what I loved. So then all of a sudden I'm skating with him and he's filming me for his videos. Like, if you want to talk about like lighting a fire in somebody, like the motivation that came just from being in that situation was like, words can't describe it. And it's so funny because thinking back, like he would literally on a regular basis, just pick me up after school and then we'd go skate. And there sometimes we'd go skate with other people, but there were so many times where him and I just went on solo sessions just to like smash tricks out and like get stuff filmed. Like, especially because in the school year, there's no light, you know, it gets dark at four thirty or five or whatever. So He'd pick me up at two o'clock and we'd be like on a mission, like two and a half. All right, we got two and a half hours. How much can we get done? And like, so I spent a lot of time with just Brian and uh, which, which was comfortable for me because I, I got to know him well. And like you said, I wasn't that outgoing. So in bigger groups to this day in bigger groups, I don't really talk a lot. Like I just, I don't know what it is. Like I just, I'm never, you know, I don't like being the center of attention uh and i i have always had you know shyness and reservations and, and stuff like that and um it's funny actually later in my career i actually went through a really awkward stage of like hating the um 
kind of notoriety that came with the skating. I was like, why can't I just be a pro and people like my skating and not have to like worry about that side. And it was only because it wasn't because I didn't enjoy it. It was because me as a human, like doesn't, didn't do well with the attention, I guess. And so like, it, it took me a long time to kind of learn how to, and, and I think I masked it well, but it was really uncomfortable at, at times, like going on tours and being in skate shops and everyone knowing who you were. And there were times where I went on tours kind of a, not by myself, but like if we were doing a skate promo for my skate, I was kind of the main person there. And like the attention was always weird for me. Um, anyway, that was kind of, kind of a tangent, but um, yeah. So back then, the being with Brian and, and whatever was comfortable because it was just me and him a lot of the time and just skating. So. No, um, so many yeah, that, that's, in my head that's, there and that whole sorry. tangent. No, I'm just saying like so many things like, I don't want to go like too much off topic too. Cause I know we have a lot more to talk about with, with Brian Bell and stuff, but, um, I feel like your one thing I never thought about was, I guess like you could kind of owe Brian Bell to like the person who you become and have helped you like get to be sponsored and known and, and recognized and shit like that. But it was also worked the other way too, because do you think if it was somebody else filming you, you wouldn't have skated as hard and gone so big so early on, or you only skated really big. Cause like, Oh, this is Brian Bell. I have to impress him. So you, that pushed you even further. You know what I mean? Oh, it, a thousand percent. The fact that it was him pushed me further than I would have gone. <sighs> And a thousand percent, I can, I have him to thank for my initial exposure to, like, I remember him trying to get me sponsored for ages, like before, um, before any videos even came out, he was telling people like, yo, I got this kid who rips and like, you'd be smart to put him on your team now. Like, I think he tried to get me on razors and stuff like that. And then this was kind of earlier on though, but then Kato, we, um, Brian was Kato came to San Diego and Brian was skating with Kato a lot. And then we started skating together a lot. And that's the only reason, you know, Rems and I or and Kato and I got to know each other and then Rems became a thing. And if you ask me if I skated for any other company, my career path and trajectory would have been drastically different. Like I have Brian to thank for that and I have remedies to thank for my entire career and how it played out in my opinion. Yeah. Um, it's crazy with, um, I, I remember now, like, I mean, you and you were like fiercely loyal to Kato and you guys were so tight and you were there from like the beginning, like, like, you know, almost like, you know, I, I know there was Jaggers and Jason Marshall and, but, but you were there from like right at that point. And, you know, I know you've spent uh, many times at his house with his family. You know Kato very, very well. Um, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah well, tell me about that, uh, meeting Kato and, like, that relationship. Yeah, so, I mean, like I said, it was, it was super organic. Like, um, Brian was skating with Kato a lot, and so then naturally I started skating with them a lot. And obviously – it was one of those things where like I had a ton of fun skating with him and I really liked the skates and wanted to try them, but didn't want to be that guy that was like, yo, what's up with some skates? Like, you know, like just cause we skate all the time and whatever. So I think I, I, I do initially remember my dad bringing me to their office. Um, 
in San Diego and I bought my first pair, the white ones. And I think if I remember right, I bought a pair that had been returned for some reason. Like there was, there was nothing wrong with them, but it was kind of like a refurbished pair or, or, you know, it was still whatever it was. So I bought my first pair and then started skating them and then loved them. And then he gave me a pair of the gray ones when they first came out, like the gray toe with the black. And then that's kind of when, like I was officially then he made me officially the first rider on ramps. Cause like you said, there was Jason, Jason Marshall and Brian Jaggers and, and then for, but they were never officially on the team. They were just like homies of Kato and homies of Rams. And that's kind of like how it worked at that point. There's almost like a homie marketing, like the skates are so good. We don't necessarily need to have a team like the, I, and that could, I could be wrong about that because it's pretty early and I wasn't in Kato's head, but um, it kind of seemed like that was what was going on. But then I was the first official rider. And I remember he sent the first ad in Daily Bread um, that was like a, a different rider. Like, cause he obviously had the ones like the zero spin on the um, mini ramp with the street sign and all that stuff. And, there were some earlier ads, but he sent an ad of me with a sequence of me that was also a poster. Uh, and I, I think it was Angie asked him like, who the hell is Chris Affley? Like, are you sure you don't want to put Jason Marshall or Brian Jaggers in your ad? Like, <laughs> what? Um, yeah. It was something along those lines. Don't quote me exactly. That's funny. It was, that is it was really like, that, funny. Uh, yeah, that's how unknown I was at the time. Like it was yeah. like, are you sure you want this to be kind of, like you're starting to move in a different direction and have riders and stuff. Are you sure you want this guy to be the first one? Was that and the I think a, no, it was a it was a, a soul grind on a really high ledge that went out. It was like a famous spot at La Jolla High School. Yep. There's like yep. a, a down ledge on black the and right white. Everyone, oh, I remember now. I yeah, remember now. yeah, it's black and white. Um, so yeah, sequence of of that. So and I mean to your point there too. I think not only was um, you know, filming with Brian, that motivating. But like you said, like I became uh, like the first official rider for this company that legends like Jason Marshall and Brian Jaggers were riding, but not officially on the team. So that was another huge, like uptick in motivation and like uh, drive, you know, it was like, not, not why me, but like, holy shit it's me. So what am I going to do with this? Like, and, and my only thought was take it and run, you know, like go as far as you can, not, Oh, this is cool. Let's, let's just enjoy it. It was like, no, let's like, let's do some shit with this. So I, I don't know. I, again, like, I don't think my career would have been the same at all if it had been any other company. Yeah. Um, I remember being on tour with you during those times and uh, being at some of the competitions with you. You were extremely competitive and just the the the, the tunnel vision. And you know, you you got into it a bit on your on your VG twenty profile. Um, and and I know you say you don't like to talk a lot, but it's and uh, but it's funny because you had a part that you're you know having a talking intro and, and very explanatory about your train of thought before skating. Um, what was the yeah. experience with that? <laughs> so it's actually pretty funny. Like Dave had to convince me hard to, to agree to do that. Like, mm. 
he was like, yeah, I'm thinking to do this for the, the start and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, bro, like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I, I can barely talk to people, let alone straight to a camera. Like that, that was such a crazy thing to me, like growing up, like, cause like I had a camera kind of on me from the time I was young with Brian Bell and stuff, but that was all just skating. It wasn't talking and stuff. And obviously as things evolve, you have to do talking things or whatever. And it took me so, so, so long to feel comfortable talking to a camera. And I still don't really to this day, to be honest, but I learned how to do it better than I did. If you watch like, I don't know if it's still around, but there was this one video I remember about the 666 rail and um, I think Jan put it together and there's a bit of me talking in it and I'm touching my face nonstop and just saying, um, every other word. And uh, yeah, it's just, it's hilarious. I have like pimples all over my face. It's just like <laughs> watching this like shy kid and it, it's funny to look back on that. So that was kind of my experience before then. And Dave kind of was like, look, I'll let you do the talking on your own. So like he actually gave me a mic and I, I went to his bathroom and just had this stuff written down and it was just on me to record it by myself. And that's the only way we got that audio. And it's funny, he threw a couple things in there. It took me so long to do it. Like, I can't tell you how long it took. And I, I kept messing it up. And there's a lot, there's one, um, line in there i think it's something like what did i do to deserve this or like mm. something along those lines it was me just like messing up time after time i was like why am i doing this like blah 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 and it was just like my i was like getting frustrated with myself and he like put a little bit of of that in there but yeah it was the only way that that happened was i was able just to kind of go in a room and record that on my own Ooh. that that is uh that's funny that he put that those little sound bites in Cause, uh, yeah. like I remember you saying that stuff that now it makes like more sense. The reason why you said it, yeah. I guess, <laughs> cause I didn't get really get that before, you know? Yeah. If you had seen it, I would have, I was just sitting in a bathroom and I, I yeah, just going, fuck, like, why can't I just read? <laughs> like, I, I can't even read the words off the paper and no one's even in here with me. Like, so was, yeah, just having like a mental breakdown. But. Yeah. I, I think the, uh, I think the last part of it actually, uh, kind of showed, it, it was very clear, like a lot of it, but, and it was very like the whole thing. And that then you were like, whatever, I don't know. I don't want to talk about this. Like the way it yeah. goes at the end, it's like, it, it, it gets into a bit of your personality, um, which I yeah. thought was cool. Yeah. yeah. It's super cool that you got to do Dave Payne. Cause we had Dave Payne on the show before. And he said that your section was his favorite section that he's ever like filmed or had to work with or anything like that. So that's kind of cool that you have that also to live by, you know? Yeah, I mean, dude, that's a trip. Like, I mean, looking back on everything, like my my whole career is such a trip. Like, I feel like I lived a movie. Like, it, it still kind of am, but it's it's like thinking back of, of being a kid and watching VG's VG Five being my first video and just following along religiously. And I remember at one point, I think I said it out loud to Mike Leaf, like, I want to be in a VG by number eighteen or something mm -hmm. like that. And then like. Lo and behold, Brian Bell calls me and I film with them for Battle My Crew. So I ended up in a VG at VG12. And then I wasn't in one for a while, I don't think. And then, uh, but yeah, then only two, you know, two after what I initially said, I just want one trick by 18. 
to have a full profile, film the whole thing with Dave. And like the whole process with Dave was crazy. Like it took us, we took so much time with it. I basically lived with him and like, I went through an injury in the middle of it. So like we had all these just dynamics that like made it more special. So I think, you know, a huge, huge, you know, thanks uh, for Dave's kind words on that one and whatever. But I, I do think there's probably, there's definitely better profiles skating wise, but I think what maybe made it so special for him was the entire process that we went through and how like close to it we both were the entire time. So like we had songs picked out and we were doing tricks and in, in the, like getting tricks and be like, Oh, that could go in this part of the song and stuff while we were out skating and stuff. So it was like, it was a very involved, very long process. So, and it was a really, really cool, really special experience. I mean, if you want to talk about it, like, and I made it kind of feeling, you know, filming a profile and living at Dave Payne's house with Randy Spicer as his roommate is, is a fucking made it moment. So like that was a very special time for me for sure. Dude, and it was it was like yeah, especially like you've had so many iconic parts. I was just talking about this with John Bellino today. We're like just going through like the amount of iconic stuff you've done, and that you know at that time that one was just like so iconic, and it still is today. And just like the fact that you were skating to like that that heavy riff mm-hmm. like music, kind of like before anyone. Like it really fit to your skating. Dave had like a really good way of uh, chopping that up and 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 making that. Uh, so you guys can tell you you both spent a lot of time on it. Yeah, I mean Dave was great with music in general. I mean I think he had a talent. Like you can look at all the VGs and like I, I hear songs today that are in early VGs and it makes me feel something. Like you know what I mean? Like yeah, it takes you back. Like sure. Dave had Dave had a special talent for for music in general, and I think. Yeah, he did a great job kind of choosing the stuff for my part. Like, I couldn't be more stoked with how it turned out, but that's all on him for sure. I think yeah. I think Colin Kelso said that too. Like, he created the soundtrack for all of our childhoods. You know, growing up watching video grooves, yeah. there was so many, so many genres, so many artists that we would have never have listened to otherwise if it wasn't for him making those VGs. And that's like for a sure. perfect example of that too. Like, would you ever picture yourself skating to like? So this hardcore heavy like riff section and you just like fucking shit up the entire time like maybe not he made it work and it was like you look back on that you're like damn that is epic as hell you know yeah i couldn't agree more man there's so much music that i wouldn't have ever found out about if it wasn't for for dave and vg so Mm -hmm. major props hell yeah Dave. huge shout huge shout out dave Payne. um speaking of iconic parts and iconic moments in plating history. Um, you were skating on, you were skating for Mind Game, I think Flo or Am in the early days when it was, I think you, Richard, and Murda, what, what I believe was like in the Brain Fear Gone, ridiculous. Yeah. Was I don't know if it was Am or Flo, but that was like the ridiculous little small team part of Mind Game. And then um, you eventually broke off with some members of mind game to do four by four and then, then go, go forth to make one of the most iconic videos of all time. So I know you were close with Shima for a long time and you spent a lot of time with him in San Diego. So I'm curious just like many other, and I'm, 
actually genuine, and I know you're pretty good, Chris, but I'm genuinely curious to know the, the beginning story of uh, how this all started and came to be from that. Yeah, so man, if you want, like you said, another moment in time that was such a trip. Like, um, first of all, being on flow for mind game when that first happened, because that's where I started, was on the flow team. I think it was like me, maybe Mike Johnson and Richard were the only three on flow, or maybe there was one other person too. Um, wow, flow, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it was what a flow so team. Like, Any of those people yeah. to say flow about their names is like, yeah, the that fuck? is the <laughs> most insane flow team of all time. <laughs> yeah, and Shane would hook yeah. it up. It was so sick, dude. Yeah. I can't tell you like how many times I would come home from school and have like the fattest mind game package, like just unprompted as well, like uh, just wheels for days, like shirts, everything. Like, and like at the time, obviously, mind game was the like, you know, still to this day, there. I don't think there's another company that had that same aura that, you know, Mind Game did at the time. So, I mean, that was like a trip in itself. Then eventually, yeah, I got moved up to AM, but it wasn't until later on, like well, well after Brain Fear Gone. Um, but just a quick story about Brain Fear Gone, which is quite funny, which it came up on, I think when you guys were talking to Ben Schwab um, about the Aaron Feinberg thing and like, mm-hmm no one knowing about it and all this stuff. And the crazy part to me was at the time I was flow for mind game. I was literally there when Shima and John were filming a lot of their parts for that video. I went to the premiere with John and Brian and I had no fucking idea that Brian, uh, that Aaron Feinberg was on the team mm-hmm. and he had a part in the video. Like no idea whatsoever. Like, I found out in that theater when everyone else did. And I was looking like I was sitting, next to Shima and I was like how did I how did you not tell me about this like what the fuck like <laughs> you know obviously you've known for a while so anyway like that that yeah caught me pretty off guard and I thought I was in the know and I was so they they held that very close to the chest um, wow super under wraps then that you were with yeah. those guys the whole time filming and didn't even know yeah fully I, I mean it was yeah crazy if but, anybody um, has a secret be sure to tell Shima yeah, or, or, or John, because they're not going to tell Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. For yeah. sure. Yeah, that's yeah. It's not coming out. Yeah. Have not to a, they're not talkers. What about them? Tell me what you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. yeah, but then, so then, you know, to be honest, like, you, yeah, John and Shima hit me up eventually and were like, you know, we're, we're thinking about leaving Mind Game to start this wheel company. And, and mind you, they were the only reasons really I was on mind game in the first place. Um, I think it was John that kind of put, kind of pushed that through to, to get me on flow and stuff like that. And so part of me, just, there was a sense of loyalty to them. Part of it was a sense of excitement that if John and Brian were leaving to do something, whatever they were doing was going to be pretty heavy and to be a part of it would be you know it it could be game changing uh so that it was exciting to think about that and then there was part of it that was like you want me to leave mind game like what like but but i'm am now and maybe one day i'll be like so um it was mixed emotions, but at the end of the day, there was no question. It was like, okay, you guys are leaving. You're starting something. You're asking me to come. I'm going with you. 
and then in terms of the video, we, you know, initially it was like, you know, we have to film a video right away. Like that has to be the exclamation point on this company starting and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think we all knew having left mind game, there was something to prove like, you know, like there was a reason we left and this is the vision and it's, it's different than what mind game was, but it's what we want it to be. And it's, the fucking best like and that was kind of i think what we all had on our minds when we were filming leading the blind was like this is an opportunity to fuck shit up like mm. to to like change the game and I, I know that i didn't feel pressure from that i felt excited by the chance to be a part of something like that and yeah i the like pure motivation when filming that was like nothing was scary like i did not mm. i don't think I, like you know what i mean like obviously there was stuff yeah. that was scary but it was like my my motivation and drive was like it was like on overdrive and it was just like this is happening like i would look at stuff and just be like this trick is happening like it's, it's, I don't know. It, it's hard to explain. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, mean, I mean, it's, I think, I think a lot of it's, I think a lot of it's cause, cause I, I felt similar feelings and I think a lot of it's gotta be that, that energy, you know, you got like, you got Pat there do, doing what he was doing and, and Brian and the entire team, which was just like mo monsters and and you yeah. just like having to live up to it and also just like the energy and the excitement of of doing something so um and new and exciting did you did you know at the time that it was going to be what it was or because I, I i still regard it as one of at least in the top three if not number one of like the most pivotal it's up you know it's like it's like that is like in the brain fear gone and, the, and those things it, it's like it's like in that did did you know you guys were going to make something like that at the time um i think we set out to make something like that we didn't know if it was going to work or not but i don't think anyone does when it's happening you know what i mean like but we we had an yeah. idea because there had been moments like that in the past right so there was coup d'etat there was brain fear gone. There was these moments that like, you know, broke skating in a way. Like it was just like, okay, they're skating. And then there's that, like what they just did is not skating. <laughs> like that's not. And I think that's what we set out to do because of all those things like brain fear gone had just kind of happened and we all left that company. So it was like, if we didn't answer back with something, on the same level, you know, four by four didn't really stand a chance to succeed in our, in our kind of perspective, I guess. So I think we set out to do that and we wanted that to be what happened, but I like when, when you're doing it, I don't think you can understand, like, especially the scope that it's turned into and like the things people still say to me to this day about that video. I, I don't think we could have understood what we were doing on that level at the time if that makes sense mm -hmm. 
Yeah. It makes sense because, no, that... yeah, the, the level of skating that you guys were at was insane, like Billy was saying. Um, and those videos to Leading the Blind and Drip Drop, two of some of the craziest, most epic videos of all time, completely different style of skating to what's, you know, popping nowadays, which is like, it's such a contrast. I actually have a few clips of clips of yours from those videos. I want to know what you had to say about them or like what, what like was going through your head for some of them. The first one, I'm going to start basic with this one. Uh, the first one is simple. It's just your fakey seven at El Toro. So this is like epic legendary spot. This is your ender in, I think, uh, Leading the blind. Yeah, leading the blind. Yep. And what? Can you like walk us through this, like, to fakey seven, such an epic, you know, set of stairs. Yeah. So that um, that was kind of right towards the end of filming for for that video. So, uh, and I had tried that before. So I had tried it. I think three years prior to that. Um, it kind of because I had done San Diego way back in the day and like it, I always had it in my head, like I can do that. Like I can fake a seven, a big gap. So like, I always wanted to do it again on like another big set. Um, and obviously El Toro was kind of like, it was uh, like a mythical beast in Orange County. You know, it was like, if you did something on El Toro, like, everyone knew what it was like there was that that was the thing about that video there were certain spots we went to and we wanted to not just one up what what had happened there but we tried to like shut the spot down you know it was almost like yeah this is a super famous spot let's not just iconic stuff yeah let's go so far that like people don't want to fuck with it anymore and like (laughs) shut the spot down that's crazy to say (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm, and I'm not trying to sound like cocky about it or whatever. Like there, that, that trick was scary as hell. But I thought, look, if I fake a seven this thing and land it, like it's gonna make noise. Like I don't, know. It, it's so it, there was there was like thought process behind that. But um, so I tried. But that was also the early. energy back in the day. You know, yeah. that, that that was also the energy back in the day. So it's like you know, try to just go. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, no, a thousand percent. You're right, man. I mean, there yeah. was like. Mm-hmm. Uh, not like a battle mentality, but it was like a battle mentality in a way where you're like, yeah. oh, well, you're going to do that. Well, fuck you. Like I, I've got this, like wait till this video comes out and just see what I did on that spot. Um, For sure. You know, and all in good fun too. And I think that was the best part yeah. about it all. Like, we were all such good friends back then, but like also jabbing back and forth on spots like that and stuff like that. But it was all kind of in good fun. Like I never had, proper you know be for wanting to like you know have personal issues with anyone but i wanted to get personal on spots i wanted to hurt people's feelings like yeah, yeah. i did that trick that spot um but anyway so that, <laughs> that that was um that was kind of the end of the film and so i was like that i want that to be my ender and i want and there was another trick so the full cab um backside out of unity on uh uh, Bernice, the uh, the gap to ledge. That was the same night, so we went from I went first to the gap to ledge, went through kind of a battle with that, and then drove straight from there to El Toro and did that fakey seven. I think that was at like one o'clock in the morning or something like that. Like I I have footage of it. Um, it's funny. I actually did this thing like a few a few years back 
you know the like rewind things you guys have been doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, i actually found one it's very similar to that about that experience about filming the full cab backside of unity and that trick in the same night and kind of what happened and i found some footage of me like after that fakie seven and i'm like oh what is it like two in the morning or something like that like anyway um so i i just got reminded of of that when i was kind of throwing that together wait you still Um, have that footage or that footage is out there already yeah, I still have it. I still have it. I made this little episode thing and I, I kind of threw it together, but it wasn't done the way I wanted it to be. So I didn't ever want to release it. I think I showed it to John Julio at one point. But um, anyway, it just it, it kind of reminded me. You should get that and make a rewind out of it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got the footage, so we, we, we'll, we'll talk about that after. <laughs> I'll talk about it later. Okay, we'll talk about it later. I've got all, I've got all the, the stuff, so we could potentially do that. But and that was the idea, though. It was like the last week of filming for Leading the Blind. And I was like, I want this to be my ender. Uh, and I, I also wanted that gap to ledge to be close to the end. Like, I just wanted to kind of, like, part of the, the concept for my part was enders only. Like, it was kind of like I wanted almost every trick in the part to be capable of being an ender. So I was trying to heavily stack the end of the section at the very end of filming which is what that night was all about. <laughs> it looked like every session you guys went to was about filming only Enders. <laughs> it kind of was, man. Right. Me and Shane would go on like full seek and destroy missions like by ourselves. Like a lot of those tricks, like I filmed with Shima and he filmed with me like just on solo sessions. So some of the filming's not great on some of them, but like we were just out for blood. Like we were, we were out just by ourselves doing hectic shit. Like, and and that kind of was the was the plan at the time was Ender's only kind of thing. Yeah, and uh, I I uh, back in the day once or twice when Shima had like the S four and the S four days skated with him a few times. He was about work. He was just like what what I didn't skate with him. I know you guys were like you know thick as thieves, like best friends back then. Yeah. And uh, yeah. but just he was just always about the big tricks, the just going to do work. Yeah, so. I can see you two together putting in a lot of, uh, doing a lot of damage. Yeah, a lot of hours. I mean, there was a lot of frustrating yeah. days too. We'd go around for 10 hours and didn't get anything done. But, you know, it, you know, you got it. Those days happen to everyone. So, but there were some days where it was like everything clicked and we got a bunch of stuff. And it was like, man, some of the, the funnest sessions ever. Like, that, that was another one of those things where I would, t- you know, take a step back every now and then when I was filming and I would be like, Right, so I'm filming Brian Shema by myself for a video of a company we're starting that we just left Mind Game for, and I was like, "What the fuck? Like, what? You know, what? What is going on here? Like, how did I end up in this moment?" So, it was, I, I, I think I did do a pretty good job throughout my whole career, kind of taking a step back in moments like that and being like, "Holy shit, this is cool!" Like, and and not trying to take any of it kind of for granted. So, it was, and that was a hundred percent one of those moments. It's it's also like humbling hearing you say shit like that. Also, along the lines For of the sure. whole B Bell story, like you're a real fucking guy. If anyone who didn't know that, Chris is a real fucking guy. <laughs> <laughs> he has feelings too, man. Uh, yeah. I have I have one more clip uh, from the four by four days that we need some background on. And this is we went for the ender in your last section. Now this is the opener in your second section. Okay, yeah. 
So oh. Uh, this is oh, oh, just this. Yeah, oh, just this. Just the biggest gap that anyone. I love. Ever I love how you start this line. By the way. Yeah, that's part of it too. Like it's not just, just you go for that. this gap. You do it one of the hardest tricks ever on a down rail, and then you just charge the biggest one eighty ever attempted ever. So uh, we, we you need to walk us through. It's like what the hell is going on in your head during this time? Yeah, that's like falling um, off a Harley right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So a couple of things. The first trick I can explain. It, ma it makes it'll make more sense to you after I tell you why I did that. But I hope so. Um, yeah, that trick in general was. Um, like I was always like one to try to jump the biggest gaps I could find. Um, so I, but one day we were skating at school. There's a couple other pretty famous spots at that school and we were there and I saw the first, the bottom double set and I was like, Oh, you could just, you know, gap over the rail. You know, that was like one of the popular things to do at that point in time, just find a drop rail and jump over it. Um, not sure why, but we, we definitely did that quite often. Um, and uh, then I was standing at the top of that set and in the corner of my eye, I saw the little four stair off to the left. And I was like, I just looked at it from the side and I was like, holy shit, you could jump over this whole thing. And I went up there and looked at it and I started like doing all sorts of calculations, like went down to the bottom <laughs> and like stood there and was like, how how tall actually is it? And like, if I'm going fast enough, maybe I can land and whatever. I, I don't know why I, I thought it was possible, but um, the, the trick beforehand. So I used to have this thing that I would do, like just in general, before I would do a big trick, I would do another trick before it. Um, and generally, usually it was like an easy trick, but it was just like, if I do the easy trick and it feels perfect, that's like my signal that everything's good to go. Like I would true Mizu a ledge and come out forward, but it was like, you know what it feels like when you do that perfectly, you like lock on, you know, you kind of pop out or whatever. It's like you land and you're like, okay, it's go time. And it was like a mental trigger. Yeah. It's like a mental trigger. So the, the mental trigger here was two was twofold. It was one, uh, if I do this trick and it feels right, it's go time. But two, it has to be a trick so hard that I don't want to do it again because once I've done it, that will, that will then get me to jump the gap. Like, you know what I mean? It was like a, if I stop, if I hesitate and don't jump, that means I got to have, that means I have to do another 360 top mistral, which like I knew how to do pretty well at the time, but I was like, I don't want to do that again. So if I do a good one, I'll actually try to jump the gap. So it was kind of like a two-part mental trigger for me to actually try it. That that that's so insane too. And uh, because you done you did the gap more than once, I think, right? So you had to. Do I did. It so anyway. yeah, yeah. There's a few. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. It was and it was two different days because the first time I tried it, I just basically blew out like my feet went straight underneath me. I, I basically landed on my knees and just slid um and i bruised both my knees pretty bad uh and whatever but i was like i gotta come back for it so i went back and tried it two more times on the same day and the first one i think is is 
is the clip in the video. And that was the closest I came to landing it, where I really got my feet underneath me, but then just kind of popped up and then kind of rolled over. And then the second time that day, I think I had stretched my cores um, a bit. And that was the, that's the crash from kind of the middle of the profile where I jump it and basically just come to a dead stop. Cause like the, my back wheels basically, to me, it felt like they just landed in sand or something. And I just like back slapped. Um, so I tried it three times totally and none of them ended that well. <laughs> that- but, but, but out of all things you would try it and you try it in a Jersey, that <laughs> thing. Oh well, man. It, it, you definitely paid the price for that. Was it, was it the, the, yeah, it was, the Jordan Jersey? I didn't notice. Yeah. A long sleeve fleece, a, a long sleeve, like, uh, you know, any long sleeve, you know, it'd have been good. A thermal, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying. You're right. You're right. You're I'm just wrong. kidding. I'm just uh, kidding. It would have looked as cool. No, but that was the reason I did that though. That was like a whole, there, there was a whole backstory to that too, which was earlier that year I had made that bet with Kato about winning the four contests back to back. Um, there, there was four big comps back to back from like September to October or whatever. Uh, and we made a bet that I could win all four, or that I, he made a bet that I couldn't win all four of them wearing a Jordan jersey and the gold helmet. Um, and then I ended up winning all four. And then uh, that was going to be like, okay, I did that. I won those comps in that jersey. And then I landed my ender for the 4 by 4 video in it and then i was going to retire the jersey and that was kind of the thought concept there but uh it never made it to retirement because the last part of that uh didn't didn't come to fruition damn i thought you retired it after the contest i didn't realize that the the four by four ender was part of the deal too well it was it, it wasn't part of the deal but i was just like how sick would that be i don't know why i was thinking that at the time but i was like you do the do the comps you win the comps in it and then land your ender in it so it was kind of like a you do part you do contests, but you also still make street parts. And like, I guess that was the thinking behind it. So it's still not retired. That jersey's still out there working. <laughs> uh, it's right. It's a, it's in a box at my parents' house. I think, <laughs> with, with some trophies. That's epic blading memorabilia right there, though. If there was Eisenberg still with all that memorabilia in the front, that jersey would definitely be up there, or the helmet, either or. Yeah, I think I still have both. I think I, I think I still have the helmet too. Um, speaking about some of those iconic contest wins, you've had some IMYTA wins. There's been some bitter, some of, some of the big, like all of these contests you were, like I was saying before, you were like extremely competitive and very tunnel vision and kicking ass during like, just like this certain few years, uh, which was just amazing. Do you, do you have any of the most like memorable because I, I think personally like a lot of those IMYTA things I was there for a lot of that those were like uh, yeah, super cool to be a part of but do you have any like of the most memorable contest wins that you that you uh, yeah yeah for sure De- definitely the first two IMYTAs were the most memorable um, I won Atlanta and then I think it was only two weeks later I won Detroit and those were like the first real comps that I won. And it's weird. I think looking back on it, that those two wins set me up for the rest of my career in terms of believing I could win. 
if that makes sense. So like, if you think back to like the Atlanta finals, right? Like on that rail, it was anybody's game. Like, and there were so many people ripping that day and say, take someone like Farmer, for example, he was right there winning, like could have won that comp as well. And like, I, I wonder back, like if I went through that battle and then didn't win and then didn't win in, in uh, Detroit and I was really close and then whatever, like would my mentality have been different going forward? And uh, I think it would have been because it, I was like, okay, I'm in the heat of this battle with all these people, but I ended up coming out on top. So I be- now there's a reason to believe I could do it again. And then it happened again right away. And then that made me believe there was never a reason it couldn't. So like, I always went into a contest wanting to win or not wanting to win, but thinking it was possible that I could win. And I think it was only because those things happened at that point in time. I think say I go two more years doing really well in contests, but not winning one, I'd I'd probably start believing that I could never win. But um, those happened early and made me believe that there was never a reason I couldn't. So just in general, those ones, and and just the amount of, like at the time too, IMYTA was everything. Like Mm -hmm. you you guys know what it was like. I mean, IMYTA was the end all be all. So like- Legendary street cred. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. 100%. So it was like those two were like, I'll remember that forever. And I remember like, the first one, I think I won two grand and I still owed my parents two grand for like my first car. And, and so I was able to pay off my, my first little Honda Civic with the money from, from winning that um, and stuff like that. So it was just like, and it was right in the middle of filming VG20 as well. So um, that it was just piled into this whole really special time. And in skating in general, that was a special time. So those two hit, hit pretty hard for sure. I mean, the IMYTAs were like, they were the IMYTAs. So I, I'd say those yeah. two were, were probably two of the biggest. Was the Atlanta the first major contest that you won? Yeah. That was like the yeah, one. Sure. Cause I remember yeah. that, uh, I, like I said this before on the show, I think that the 540 kind grind was, is I put this in the intro to jump street in the beginning of the podcast, because to me, that was like the first time where I was like, I want to be pro one day. You know, I think it's something I could do. I could be a pro skater one day. And then I saw that and I was like, oh, no chance. There's no way. Like, I'll never, ever be able to do anything like that, you know? And that, that just always stuck in my head. And that's why I personally well, use Well, forget that. about that. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, yeah. I'm done. Um, I'm going to start that. BMXing or something. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I have to, do I have to apologize? I have to, I didn't mean no, to. you don't have to. You, <laughs> it's the opposite. <laughs> But, but but I have to say to, to, to your other point, I like uh, I can relate to what you were saying in terms of getting confidence off of other things and then that leading to belief, which is a key thing in, in order to win. You know, no matter how good you are, you need to really believe you're going to win and know that it's possible. And then so I can see that like chain of events, like once you've proven it to yourself, once it like that's a it's like a positive uh chain of reaction just happening oh, so 100%, that's cool yeah. that's reinforcement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yep awesome that's dope definitely <laughs> Joe, there's there's so much shit to talk about with you i think it's only right that we start getting into this nitro circus shit because that has been like a part of well, 
I got to say this before we get into the Nitro Circus, because okay. I think there was something that led up to the night, the Nitro Circus, which was your affinity of learning the mega ramp, right? Because that's where the interest of the Nitro Circus came into play. So how did you get into that? Like, how, how did you uh, become such a strong proponent for the mega ramp in a time when street um, skating was such the hot thing? My Street's bad, getting so hot right now, Basil. <laughs> <laughs> My bad, Chris. Before you answer that, you're clicking something in your hands right now. Can you <laughs> just throw it away or something for now? <laughs> there we go. Perfect. You good? You good? Oh, you good. oh okay, sorry. Answer. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> it, 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 uh, sorry, my internet started cutting out, so it kind of was like I, I understand the question, but it, I was missing it for a second there. Um, uh, sorry, but the question: How did I get into mega ramp skating? Was that right? Like, uh, I feel like in the beginning, uh, you were one of the first people to really embrace the mega ramp when it came out to be like during a time when street skating was so popular. Uh, what what drew you to that? Because I feel like that was the thing that led you to be in the Nitro Circus. Oh, did we lose him? Are we losing him? That he is in Australia. That was the internet. It's coming a long way. All those, all those megabytes. We are going through multiple time zones. So, <laughs> Chris, you well, with us? Hello. I think yeah. I got you back now. Come yeah, on. we're good. Are we good? Yeah, my Wi-Fi. Yeah, my Wi-Fi just took a took a shit for a second there. Um, Did you hear that question again? Right. right so, I, I, yeah, I feel I think, like I think okay. I okay. Uh, well, no, go ahead. I, I, I only got pieces okay. of it. So. I'll, I'll, bring, I'll bring it back one more time. Um, Make it quick so, so I I, 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 No, well, I hope it's okay. But I feel like the thing that uh, no, led you to... Are we good? Okay. Yeah, we're good. I feel, like, I feel like the thing that led you to get into the Nitro Circus, which led you to your whole career and oh. new life, was you getting into the Mega Ramp when it first came to be and really embrace it. Like, there were only... I feel like when uh, it was a time when street skating was super popular and all that kind of stuff was starting to die down, you really, as who you were as a figure in street skating, like a, a real leader, just embraced the mega ramp. So what was it that drew you to that? And what was that uh, experience like? And then I guess from there to Austin's question, like leading into the experience of the Nitro Circus. Um, yeah, so for me, it was pretty pretty simple. I basically became obsessed uh, with the idea of a mega ramp from the first time I saw it, like uh, Danny Way's 360 uh, to quarter pipe air world record, whatever it was. Um, and the reason why was because just in skating in general, I had the most fun when I was going as fast as I could go and like landing a trick and it just feeling like you absolutely rinse something, you know, going super fast or, you know, jumping big gaps at skate parks. Like I, I had over the years too, gotten a lot better at skate parks. Like I went through a phase where, like I said, when, when I started skating with Mike Lee from Brian Bell and everybody, I went through like hardcore street skating for a long time to the point where like I would go skate park contests, but I wouldn't be able to ride the transitions very well. Um, like I would just do all the street stuff at the comps and then I happened to win one of the um, LG contests because it was a really street oriented setup 
and it made me realize there was this whole other kind of world in, in park skating and, and contests that I wasn't really a part of because I wasn't that good at it. So I started getting better at park. And when ultimately when you get better at skate park, it gets so fun. Like when you can like be going super fast and be jumping big gaps and landing in transitions and like there's no harsh flat ground <laughs> feeling and you're just basically flying, like it's so fun. It's ridiculous. So I basically started chasing the idea of the mega ramp because it just seemed like the most fun thing you could possibly do. It's basically just going as fast as you can and flying and doing tricks along with it. So, uh, I basically became obsessed with it. So did Shima. So, uh, me and Shima started trying to, at the time that ramp that Daniel Way did was located at a, a camp in Temecula and, um, and uh, we somehow figured out a way to get into the camp. Like not, not, we found people connections to people who worked at the camp and then set up a day to go ride there. And um, so we went to the camp, we're signing in and all this stuff. And we had driven there like an hour and a half, whatever. And we're getting all hyped up the whole way there. Like, fuck dude, we're going to jump to Meg Grant. This is going to be sick, blah, blah, blah. And then we get to the camp, we're filling out all the paperwork, they're giving us our bracelets and like, we're getting ready. And we're literally like walking out the office door and they're like, oh, by the way, just don't go anywhere near the mega. <laughs> and we're like, fuck. And so like, then we just like drove home with our head between our, you know, tail between our legs. And um, we're just like, fuck, what do we do? Like, how do we, how do we get on a mega? Oh, so, what a bummer. Yo, yeah, straight up. Well, <laughs> yeah, by the we way. Were, yeah. Was it reserved for like Danny Way only? Yeah, basically. And and I get it now. Like the liability behind that thing would have been fucking insane. Like some you know, the companies right. that were involved would have had to have had crazy insurance policies and waivers for the ramp specifically and all this stuff. It's stuff that at the time I just wouldn't have understood and I would just be like, Oh, well I'll just if I get hurt I just won't tell anyone type of thing. Mm-hmm. But like that thing costs probably, you know, three quarters of a million dollars to build. And any company that spent that kind of money is going to be pretty interested in protecting it. So mm-hmm. um, I think it was DC maybe that owned it. So it was like, at the, like it wasn't the camp's property. It was like DC owned the brand, whatever it was, we, we couldn't go near it. So um, which thinking back on it, it was probably a blessing in disguise because I don't think I was prepared for it at that point in time. But <laughs> I think I would have got fully fucked up if I had just gone gung ho the way I felt like I could that day. Like I think I would have got absolutely destroyed. So it was a blessing in disguise that we couldn't get on it. Um, and then Shim and I started skiing basically to fill the void. Like we were like, where, how can we jump big shit? And um, so we started skiing and skiing. I became obsessed with skiing for a few seasons because um that was exactly what I was looking for. Like literally hauling ass down a hill, hitting a big ass jump and like, yeah, all that stuff. So we, we basically turned to skiing to get our fix. And then um, the nitro ramp was actually the very first quote unquote mega ramp I ever rode. Um, I don't know how or what, like the, you know, 
powers that be how it happened. But like, I was completely obsessed with the idea of writing one. And then one day I literally just out of the blue got an email from one of the producers at Nitro. And they were like, we have this ramp. It's like a mega ramp style ramp set up uh, in Temecula. And we wanted to see if we wanted to come out just to see what you could do on it. Hmm. And I was like, what? Like, is this real life? Um, so I jumped at the chance and then that's kind of how that whole thing started. That's crazy that they ask you to straight up see what you could do on a ramp you've never skated before, not even close to anything. Like, like how was that skating for the first time? Because you just got thrown into the fire pretty much. Yeah, kind of. But there was, so there was a couple caveats to it. And I, I think um, one was, like I said, I wasn't prepared for the mega, the original mega when we went. And I think skiing prepared me massively for this opportunity. So I'd literally spent three seasons skiing and jumping really big jumps. So when it came time to ride this one, it was actually like a, almost like a mini mega, the way it was set up. It wasn't like the real full on deal. Um, actually, I mean, it was, and it wasn't, but it was smaller than the, the big, big one. Um, so when I went, it was set up to a foam pit as well. So it was like, as long as you dropped in and made it off the jump, like you were going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so, but it, the, to me, the drop-in was the scariest part. And then once you got through the drop-in, uh, the the ramp was just exactly how I imagined. It was literally the most fun thing I've ever ridden in my life. Mm-hmm. And still is. Like our ramp is my favorite thing in the world to skate to this day. Like it He's is so I'll skate it if it's indoors and there's no wind. Like there, if it's set up uh, indoors and there's no wind and no dew and no, like no out, outside uh, kind of forces of nature it, to deal with, it's literally the most fun thing in the entire world. I, I heard that. Uh, maybe was it like Dubai or Abu Dhabi or something like that where it was so wet that people couldn't skate the ramp or something like that? Yeah, it was uh, Abu Dhabi. It was one of the, the first time we went there. So what happens is, and it's happened to us a few times in other places, but nowhere near as bad as it did here. So what'll happen is, is Abu Dhabi was crazy hot during the day, but then when the sun would go down, the temperature would drop drastically. So the, the landing is uh, like plastic basically. And it was sitting on grass. So not only is it extremely hot all day and then the sun goes down the temperature changes and condensation form, but it was on top of grass, which also attracts the moisture or whatever it is. It's, it's happened to us a few times, but this, the entire landing got wet and the wood got wet. So like even the drop in, it was crazy. It was like the drop in was sweating. Um, Oof. And Super we, yeah. And we started the show actually, and almost no one was landing anything. And then we had a guy dropped in on something and like wiped out in like before the takeoff and then flew off the takeoff and landed on his back and got knocked out. And then we just stopped the entire show. Um, But it was crazy. So John and like a bunch of the ball guys at the time were there, like John, Eric Bailey, Brostow, um, who else was out there? I think Jason Marina was with them. Like they all just happened to be in Abu Dhabi at the same time and were actually at that show. And I was all bummed out because I literally got to hit the ramp twice and didn't land anything because it was soaking wet. 
uh and you had all the boys cheering for you like yeah i was like oh bro that's not that's not how it usually goes i swear <laughs> i was when you were talking about the mega ramp before like you said you weren't ready for it i was just thinking i was like because i never skated the full-size mega but i skated the mini mega a, a bunch and it's actually a really safe ramp and i'm like it's actually really safe if you know what you're doing in comparison to like say a fakie seven over el toro like you could break your everything on that but a mega ramp is generally safe until you said that he slipped dropping in the roll and, and, and launched off it you know yeah yeah no i i totally agree they are they are really safe just especially when they're built like that mini mega is where they have a deck um because you can really you, you can work up to it um yeah no gap and no like, gap yeah in the middle. And, and um and the thing is, they're like basically mathematically made to work. Like if you drop in and don't do anything stupid, you you should clear the gap mm-hmm. fine. You know, like it's built to work, if that makes sense. So like you may, that, that's kind of how I did all my tricks. It, you know, even on the bigger one was I was thinking in my head, like as long as your speed's right and you get your feet down first, like you're landing in a big slide essentially, like, it, I think it gets scary when you don't know what the speed is and you don't know if you're going to deck it or go too far or, uh, or if there's a gap and you, you can maybe not make it. But other than that, like if you're, if you know what the speed is, you can comfortably throw a trick and know that you're going to land in the right spot. If that makes sense. So like, mm-hmm. you know, except for when wind and stuff comes into it, which when you, when you start jumping that far, it definitely does. But, uh, it, uh, I agree. I, th- I think they are quite safe, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I try to jump those things. You put your hand down. You, you, it, it's, oh. it's, 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 it's more than skating the curb. You get a little burn, but whatever. That's that's subjective. We could put that put that to the side, and we'll and we'll talk about it later. Yeah. But um, like Austin said before, I just want to get into the mega ramp first, but let's talk about Nitro Circus and mm. and what that opportunity yeah. was like because that's um, yeah, that's massive. Yeah, man. Yeah, it was a it was a huge opportunity, and I you know in a way like looking back, I mean, it was really like I basically from the first time I saw that mega ramp and got obsessed with it, I was essentially preparing myself without knowing what for, you know, for the opportunity. And so like when it came, I just jumped on it. And then like with all the other opportunities that came my way, I just tried to run it as far as I could, um, which, you know, it worked out pretty well, but it's still a trip looking back on that opportunity and how it all started and kind of what happened through it all. But, uh, Yeah, essentially, at first, you know, it's funny as they kind of brought us in, not as a joke, but almost as like, because the show is obviously, it's broken up into all these segments and it's entertainment plus action sports. It's not just like a big demo type of thing. So I think they were surprised at what I was able to do and what the guy on the scooter was able to do. And very quickly it turned from, okay, they're not going to be in the show as a joke. They're going to be in the show because they rip on this ramp type of thing. Um, so it, it changed very quick. And then my role throughout the years, like I think the very first tour, I had three real jumps that I got to do. And then like I had to do that shopping cart jump. 
<laughs> thing. And like, I know what everyone thinks about that and whatever. And the way that I viewed it is. I don't know what everyone thinks about that. I think that's dope. I always thought that was cool. So, the, Personally, the, so. you had to talk about that yeah. a little bit, like explain yeah, how yeah. that came up and everything. Well, the way, so there's a few things about it. One is that out of context, it, it, it looks absolutely ridiculous and it does look like a piss take on rollerblading and blah, blah, blah. Like in that it's like, Oh yeah, rollerblader jumping a shopping cart and whatever. But if you see it in the show in context, you know, I went right after a guy jumping a Barbie car or, you know, a kid's trike or this or that, like that segment was more about contraptions and like the focus there was the shopping cart, not me. Like I was the vehicle to get the shopping cart over the ramp. And the way I saw it was it was almost like a pay to play type of situation. I was like, I had to do that in order to get my spot to showcase blading how I wanted to in the other part of the show, if that makes sense. So that's kind of how, maybe that's just me justifying it, how I, you know, wanted to see it at the time. But, um, but yeah, so that was kind of the, the beginning of it. And then as the tour went over, like, I think at one point I had like 20 jumps in the show or something like that. So it, it heavily increased and like rollerblading became a way bigger part of the show um, just in general. So it was, it was pretty cool to see it all evolve and be a part of it. Yeah. And uh, I feel like you earned those guys respect in other ways because, you know, you did one of the wildest things you dropped in on that ramp on a BMX bike with blades on the pedals. And then you three sixty off, ditch the bike and land on your blades so I, and then I saw you doing like dirt bike stuff. So I feel like you were like doing that talented stuff that you were doing in those early videos, like the, you know, yeah. the juggling, but just like bringing it to the nitro circus thing. So I feel like, uh, just you as how you are is undeniable, but uh, undeniable. But I, I also like, uh, wonder if like that brought like some respect to you and your blading. Yeah, I, th I think for sure it did. I think just the willingness to do other things, but I, I think, the other thing that's really cool to I me, mean, one of my favorite parts about Nitro in general is that it's almost the anti-cool, if that makes sense. Like Travis is like kind of a nerd. Like he, he's like, he just respects good. Like if you're good at whatever you do, he doesn't care what it is that you're riding. He doesn't care. Like if it's impressive to watch, then sick. Like it doesn't, like none of that shit matters. Like the core, say skateboarding mentality where it's like, only skateboarding school and fuck this, fuck that. Like he's like a superiority of, mentality. Yeah. And he's yeah. kind of like the antithesis to, to that. Like, it, so it's kind of cool. Like nitro is kind of like a misfit Island. Um, and I, I guess I just kind of fit in with that. Like all of them are, are that way. They just like to have fun and do other shit. And I've always been the same, like just get into whatever I kind of can and, and have fun at, you know, going back to being shy and shit like that, like, it's funny, like, people joke now, like, I didn't talk to anyone for the first three years I was on tour, <laughs> like, um, and, and part of that was, like, me being shy, and part of it was me being like, okay, this is a huge opportunity, like, these guys have this show on MTV, they're bringing me on this tour, I don't want to be that guy that's like, oh, hey, guys, I'm part of the crew now, what's up, like, you know, I, like, and and jump right in there was people like that and they didn't last very very long um 
so I just kind of like stayed in my lane, did my thing. I, and, and kind of, like you said, earned earn respect kind of whatever in, in the various things we did just by kind of doing what I would do anyway. Um, and then, yeah, just kind of evolved. And then, you know, you know how it is when you tour with anybody, like we, we eventually spent, you know, the better part of, of the last 11 years on the road together. And when you, you spend that much time on the road with people, they become family. Um, yep. so it's, it's like, yeah, that's, it's just become like my people. <laughs> mm, that's dope. And, uh, do you think through that time you, you may have changed some of some people's views who had like some negative views on rollerblading? Um, I mean, maybe, yeah. I, I think one thing I definitely did was showed rollerblading to a lot of people that never would have seen it through that opportunity. Um, I think, yeah, maybe there were some people like, I guess that were like, Oh, you know, before I, you know, it's funny is that what I got the most wasn't, Oh, I thought blading was stupid. It was, I ha I just haven't seen it in so long. And then the first thing I saw was you doing what you're doing and that's sick. Like, where's it been? Not, not so much. It, it was almost like a forgotten thing to most of the people I ran into over the years and no one had anything bad to say. Like, and you know, it's funny is like the very first tour I went to, I had met a lot of the people beforehand, except for the FMX guys. So the dirt bike guys, um, I like, I knew the kind of core crew and the guys riding the mega ramp, but I didn't know the dirt bikes. And when I got there, there was a list on the dressing rooms of like who was in what room and all the people I knew from the testing and stuff were in one room. And then the other room was all the FMX guys and me. And I was like, fuck me. Talk about like throwing it to the lions. Like I figured, <laughs> you know, from, from my experience, you know, from what I knew of, of dirt bikers and FMX, I was like, these are like the hardcore of the hardcore guys. And like, they're yeah. just going to fucking, you know, rip me to shreds and I go in there and blah, blah, blah. And like, and you're by yourself further from the truth. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I'm just in there alone, but it literally couldn't have been further from the truth. Like these guys did not give a shit about any of that. Like they were like, Oh, you're all good. Sick. Like whatever. And then it, and then they saw me riding in that first practice. And then when we were in the dressing room afterwards, just kind of on getting out of our gear or whatever, they're like, Hey man, you're fucking sick. Like the tricks you were doing were awesome. Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, what the fuck's going on here? Like I thought all these dudes were like, hardcore they'd be back here like fucking doing crazy shit and they're just like the most chill guys like i think a lot of that fmx um kind of you know uh how people see it is all like almost a marketing thing and like that that's what they the image they portrayed to kind of sell shit and like but none of them are actually like that That's awesome to hear the respect and everything that you get from people because you did represent skating well. And I was curious when you did get the opportunity to skate in Nitro Circus, were you thinking like, oh, cool, this is like an opportunity for me to showcase skating to a larger crowd. What am I going to do to maybe put an impact on people? Or like, did you think about that at all? Or like, did it meet your expectations? Did it exceed your expectations? Like, how did you picture that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I did. I, I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about that at all, but... I, I guess I rarely let it influence what I actually did. 
um, because I, I, from the very start of my career, the, the, I just did what I had the most fun doing. And if people liked it or not, that was what it was. And luckily my, in my experience, most people liked what I was doing and that I just kind of ran with that. So like I said, that ramp is the most fun thing in the world. So I just, I wanted to focus on what I would, the tricks I would have the most fun doing for a couple of reasons. And one is if I spent too much time thinking about the pressure of, I'm, I'm uh, you know, an ambassador for skating and I have to worry about the image and how people see it and all that stuff. It, it would just be pressure that I didn't really want. So while I was aware that it was there, I tried not to feed into it too hard, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know, Chris, I, <clears throat> I kind of want to take it on a side tangent, on uh, something completely different. I saw you on a game show uh, for a, a quarter million dollars, and I, I wasn't following it till there were eight people left. And there were yeah. when there were eight people left, I was like, "My boy's winning it, dude! Like, yeah. I know this guy; he's one hundred percent winning it." So yeah. I was curious if you could like talk to me, talk to us about like that experience and uh, what it was like getting into that and that whole that whole thing because that was. Really cool to watch because after it was eight people, I watched every episode going down, yeah. and I was like, "That this is so sick." But um, yeah, yeah. Cheers. cheers, man. I, I mean, if you want to <laughs> talk about again, again, like surreal situations in my life, feeling a little bit like a movie, like uh, that. Uh, I think probably tops the the <laughs> tops the list. Um, so the way that happened was kind of random. So that came about um, because Nitro had a partnership with a company called Whistle Sports, which is the production company that put that contest on. And what happened was they had, I think nine, they had 18 people to start with and nine of them of their original cast were all from Europe uh, and the UK and stuff like that. And at the last minute they found out, that something happened with the visas so that they technically weren't allowed to come over to compete for that amount of money um, because of the type of visa that they had got. Um, so at the last minute, they had to find nine new people to enter this contest. Uh, so they just started reaching out to all their partners, and one of them was Nitro, and they were like, hey, do you have anyone that could do this comp? And if anyone, if like anyone, if you follow me on Instagram, you would have seen like I'm always posting like from shows like doing dumb shit, whether it's kicking field goals on, you know, on football fields or like we did something where like a buddy of mine threw a football to me and I caught it midair doing a 360 or like a, we went to this basketball court thing. I did like a full court shot or whatever. And I've always done that. Like if you look at old Viberlex stuff, there's, there's um, footage of me doing shit like that. Oh, yeah. Forever. Yeah, for sure. So they Nitro obviously noticed that, and they were like, "Hey, this this dude could do it," and they're like, "Yeah, sick. Uh, let's do it." So I found out about that like four days before the first uh, day of filming, or something like that. And to be honest, I almost said no to it because uh, when I found out, I was in Saudi Arabia. And 
I had been gone from home for like the better part of 11 months of that year. This was like in November and I had pretty much been gone the entire year. So I was like, fuck, I just want to get home. And like the Saudi part of this trip was like quite hectic. And like everyone was just in that zone where it was like the end of a really long trip and everyone just wanted to go home. And it was like, I had to go home and then basically immediately get on a plane and go, go um, to Atlanta. So I was like, fuck, like I, this sounds cool, but what are the chances I'm actually going to like win? And I don't really want to leave home again. So I almost said no, but, um, then the way it ended up working, they were like, okay, well the, the first day of filming is only one day. So like you'll fly out, do one day of filming and then go home. Uh, and then if you make it past that round, you'll come back like a few weeks later, but, um, where's that? And, and they paid you for that first day. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go, I'll go to Atlanta for, for one day, uh, you know, get, get, uh, the money for the one day of filming and then I'll be done with it basically is what I thought. Um, and then I got there and a part of me was like, I think I could probably win because I'm always doing dumb shit. Like, I feel like this is kind of tailor made for me, but then I met everyone else that was in the contest and they're all those people too. Like in their friend friend group, they're the person that the person said, Oh, as soon as I saw you on that show, I thought you were going to win. Like all of them were just that, those people. So then I was like, oh shit, maybe, maybe I won't win this. And then, yeah, just kind of, I won that first day, uh, which was only versus two other people. And then, so, and then I knew when I was going back, it was only versus six people. So I was like, holy shit. Like there's only, you know, six other people in, in my way of, of winning this thing. So it's, it's a possibility. Um, yeah, so th- that was a trip. That's kind of how it came up. Crazy. And then w- what was it like when you were getting into, like, the final rounds? Like, when you got to be, like, when there were eight left, did it become, like, a thing where you were, like, I got this? Or was it something like, oh, I don't uh, know. Just- I'm, still with, I- I'm still with seven other people who were super talented. Like, how did it feel? It was, it was a fucking roller coaster. That's for sure. So (laughs) I I did feel at first I felt like, okay, I've I've fucking got a chance here and there's only five other people. And they showed us. So the very first day it was like this thing called the gauntlet and it was like this series of challenges and it was like a race kind of through it. And they showed us what all of them were. And it was like the, the person with the slowest time gets eliminated and, um, but everyone else goes through and they showed us that I was like, I'm, I'm going to make it through this for sure. And then I went like third or something like that. And I, I got through like the first two stations super quick. And I was like, Oh dude, I'm killing it. And then I got stuck on one for like way too long. It was like bouncing a little tiny basketball off of, off a trampoline into a hoop. And that, it took me like way too many tries. And then, the next thing was you had to get a bike tire, throw it over your head, like onto this like post. And that took me probably four minutes or something. And, and before that, I think the person who finished, finished in five minutes. So like I was past their time with like all these other stations I still had to do. So I, at that point I was like, I'm going home. Like 
not only am I going home, but I actually have to still finish this. So this is kind of like embarrassing at this point. So I finally get the tire and then I, I went through the last three stations, like almost first try on each one, not first try, but very quickly um, on, the, on the last few finished. And then like two people later, someone just got stuck on something and I, I knew at that point I'd made it. Like, I think it was, it was um, the one girl that was in it got stuck on something and it was one of the last obstacles as well. So she was almost through and it took her like 10 minutes just to do the one kind of last thing. So at that point I knew I'd, I made it through, but then from there we split into two groups of three and there was three challenges for each group. And the first day I came third, the second day I came third and the fourth day there was a, or sorry, the third day, the third obstacle I had to do was like, it was one of these things where the first challenge, it was like a hundred points for first, 50 for second, 25 for third. And then the second day it was like 200 for first, 100 for second, 50 for third. So I had like 75 points against like these other guys that had like 300, 400. And, um, and then uh, the last obstacle was like, you could get as many points as possible. So I had to like come way from behind uh, and throw these little baseballs off trampolines through these paper targets. And I only had to beat one guy. So two, two of us went through. And uh, so again, I thought I was going home and then somehow uh, ended up beating. I got the most points of anyone on that challenge which put me in the second place and made it through to the next round um, of four. And then it was like, yeah, four, three, two, and then one or whatever. So when it, when we made it down to four, I started to feel like, okay, there's a real chance again. Um, but those first, the first few days after going back and when we did the challenges, it was like, we did the gauntlet the first day, the first challenge one day, the second challenge the next day and whatever. So like, I did terrible in the gauntlet. Then I got third place in the, on the first day. So I had to sleep on that. Then I got third place again, had to sleep on that. So the whole time I'm just like, stressful. Yeah. So, and then I made it through and then I'm hyped. So I slept on being hyped and then made it through to the finals and all that. And, and then the four, three, two, one, uh, I got through pretty, pretty easy the first two. So it wasn't as stressful, but, yeah, it was crazy. It was a roller coaster. Yeah, talk about like being like a magic carpet ride. Who would have ever thought in your entire life that you would end up on a game show like that to win seriously. a bunch of money? Yeah, serious. And the thing I will say too is I always would watch shows on TV and be like, fuck, they suck at this. Like, why yeah, is this yeah. so well? Put me on there. And it is so much harder when you're in the actually in there doing it because like generally we'd be sitting around for hours beforehand. It was like freezing cold when we were filming. And so like all of a sudden it was like, okay, go. And then like, you haven't, you've been sitting on your ass for four hours and then you're trying to throw fucking balls and targets and all this stuff. And it was, it was way harder. So now I have a, a better appreciation for game shows and why people are terrible <laughs> at them. But, <laughs> and not why people yeah. are terrible at them. Yeah. Like when you're screaming at the TV, like yeah, it really. makes sense now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny way to look at it. Mm. There's a, you got a question about it, Billy? No, go ahead. I was, was going to move on. So if you had a, 
No, go ahead. No, I was going to say that we're coming up on two hours now. So, I mean, there's so much, much more to talk about, but um, we're going to open up for questions in a little bit. Uh, you got some? Before we do, I have. do you have questions bef before you do? I mean, I have other shit to talk about, that... yes. I wanted to mention okay. that I want to so mention I want to mention just a few couple of things because we're probably like you know a little more than the halfway point in the episode. Um, thank you, Blink, our sponsor for this episode. Shout out to Blink by Rollerblade. Also, we have our 100 episode giveaway where we're giving away a $500 gift card to Intuition Skate Shop. So anybody can enter. All you have to do is leave a comment below on the YouTube video. Let us know your favorite episode or your favorite conversation in an episode and subscribe to this channel and you will be eligible to win a $500 gift card to Intuition Skate Shop to get you a pair of skates you want, uh, new wheels, bearings, frames, anything you want, new gear. Intuition Skate Shop, $500 gift card. Um, we'll announce Chris the Chris Huff used to skate for Intuition Skate Shop. I yeah. still do, man. I still, still do. do. Still do. Let's go. That's the kind of sponsor that doesn't go away. Exactly. That's, yes. why we, that's why we chose Intuition Skate Shop for this. Like we said yeah. before, Intuition isn't sponsoring this. We went out of our way to do this with our own money and everything like that. So we're happy to support Intuition Skate Shop. So oh, yeah, uh, we're going to pick a winner on episode 101. So next episode, we're going to pick a winner at random for whoever leaves a comment in this video mentioning their favorite episode or moment in an episode. And you can mention this episode, too, if you want. Sure. Why not? Fuck it. This might <laughs> be many people's favorite. It might be. I, I mean, it's looking like it. So... Yeah, definitely. Everybody enter if you can. Uh, we have other things to talk about, too. Um, while we're like transitioning out of like the mega ramp topic, maybe uh, I'm curious because you put out that Vibralux section, that VOD, which was like after being on tour with Nitro Circus for however many years, like you were kind of gone from the core scene. And then you put out this banger section, which I've since it came out, I personally have always said, if somebody were to ask me to see like a section of rollerblading, that was the section I would show people because that's oh, how shit. good I think it was. Um, it was such like a dynamic mix of street skating. You bringing your mega ramp skills to street skating, which is something that like no one's ever really done in skating before. And I know that had to have been a struggle to go from skating no almost nothing but mega ramp for however many years to a street section and it being one of the mm. hardest sections of all time. So can you talk about mm. like, maybe the struggles of that or, or the mindset behind going into that section? Yeah, for sure. I mean, firstly, thank you massively for the kind words. I mean, that's a huge call. Um, and, and so thank you for that. I'm, I'm glad people, you know, enjoyed the section because it was, it was a, a mission to get it done, but um, there's a few things behind it. I mean, AJ deserves all the credit in the world for that. Like I tried to quit on him, a hundred times. Mm. Uh, and he just would not let me say no. Um, wow. and yet before we even started filming, like I would like entertain the idea and be like, well, yeah, maybe and blah, blah. And then, and, and to be fair, it was more about timing and, and scheduling than anything. Um, like just cause I, at that point in time, I was still on the road a lot. So it was like, okay, so I'm going to come home from being on the road and then go back on the road to film and that that was kind of the biggest thing for me that was that, that was why it was so hard to commit but aj stuck with it and i'm glad he did because i am you know pretty proud of what we were able to accomplish but um mentally for sure it was the hardest part i've had to film ever because it um you know the rest of them were like pure passion at the time and driven by something 
you know, bigger than me, like say the four by four section, like we talked about and stuff like that. So I think when the, when the, um, kind of focus is outside of you, it's easier to, I don't know, the passion for the bigger project is what drives you. Whereas this was like an individual part as a VOD and it, it was kind of the only, t- not thinking about it, I never really thought about that, but that was the first time I filmed a part that was just for me, kind of, that wasn't like a skate park edit or something. Um, so maybe that was part of it, but um, I don't know, like anything, like when you think back on, cause at this point I probably hadn't skated street in three years or something like that. Like, or if I did, it was like one session here or there, um, not like out skating all the time. So, uh, thinking back on street skating, I always thought of the good stuff, like how good it feels to land a trick and get the clip and this and that and the other. But like, I totally forgot about like, and I remembered quickly the driving around in the car, trying to find a spot, the hero at the spot, trying to kick you out, even though they have no reason to care why you're there. Um, fucking finding a perfect spot, but a car is in the way, uh, you know, the list goes on and, we ran into a lot of that for some reason. I, I feel like, like it was kind of a, it was definitely a grind. But the thing was, is every time we got through the grind and got clips, the clips were good. So it was like, part of me was like getting torn, like fuck, this is hard. And then you'd see what you had, and you're like, okay, I want to keep going and make it better. So there was that, but. Um, but it wasn't that long of filming, so it was. It just was the timing of it for me made it hard. But it was. I think we did a week in Atlanta, a week in Arizona, uh, a, a bit in California when him and Farm were out there, and then I went to Kansas City for like five days at the very end of it and to finish it off. Um, but that was so. It wasn't a long process necessarily, but it was a hard process. But it. It, I, I was happy with what we did and I, I'm stoked with that because I always said I didn't want to put something out that was just for the sake of putting something out um, which is probably why I haven't done some anything really since then um, so it was cool to it was it felt good it felt kind of like a I don't know like a like there was closure to to filming parts or something like mm-hmm. that if that makes sense no, that makes perfect sense. And I'm curious how, like I said before, the, your mega ramp skating definitely shows in that section because especially the Arizona, like the ditch spots, you were like airing the ditches and shit, like way bigger than most people would. Uh, like how was the influence from mega ramp skating all those years transferring over to street skating? Like how did that feel different? Because that was a whole aspect of skating that you or most people have never experienced before. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, there was a couple of levels to it. I mean, the airtime and stuff you get used to, but like I said earlier, like, I feel like mega ramps are safe in the way that they're built perfect. And, uh, you know, it's masonite. Like, like Billy said, you do get burns, but if you cover up or wear the right pads, like, you know, that's kind of your biggest concern. Whereas like those ditches are usually rough as shit. So, mm-hmm. um, it was kind of like the airtime wasn't the issue, but it was still scary to do them because of those things and the unknowns and the speeds, you know, not just a perfect roll on it's whatever, but, uh, I guess it made it less scary to be in the air, but the gaps themselves were still scary. And I think I, I've mentioned it somewhere else in an interview I did about this, but 
I always loved jumping big gaps and they were always a part of my sections. So it, it kind of, I guess it felt like it would have been missing something if I didn't have any, but my legs just don't like jumping big gaps to flat or didn't at that point. It was five years ago, six years ago now, but, um, and I still don't, but, uh, so that was my way of like still integrating like the big gaps that I kind of felt were a staple in my sections without kind of killing myself to get them. That's true. That's a good way to look at it. Yeah. Um, I know we've been doing this for, for a little bit now, but I have a few questions to ask you before we open it up for questions. Um, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. All good, man. Cool. Um, you're recently married and you're a new father. What's that like yeah. after living a life of going on tour, you're living a, a life of nitro circus, and now you're settling down. That's a very different transition. So uh, what's life like these days being a, a, a new father? And by the way, congratulations. congratulations. I, didn't, I, you know, I haven't seen you in a while. So Yeah, cheers, man. Thank you. I mean, it's, it's the coolest thing ever, like. You know, having like this little person that you're, you're watching become, you know, their personality grow and like all this stuff. It's it's the most unreal thing. I mean, it's the hardest thing ever, but it's the most rewarding thing ever. And I, I think, you know, parents always say that. And like I'm, I'm probably about to say about a thousand cliches that you've heard a million times, but you, you literally can't understand it until you're a parent. And and I think the biggest thing for me was I always thought like, oh, yeah, we'll be I'm sure it'll be hard. And I'm sure it'll be really rewarding, but I don't think I ever could have imagined how hard it would be and how rewarding it would be. So the extremes are way higher on both ends. Like if that makes mm. sense. So like it's, it makes perfect it's sense. yeah. So it's, but, but it's beautiful in that, in that, you know, it is that rewarding. Like, you know, it's, it's crazy. Like even right now, like he's a, he's a, a daycare for the day and like I miss him um, and stuff like that. So it's, he, and he's the funniest kid, man. He just charges so hard. Like he does not have a stop button, like, which is probably what I was probably karma for what I was like as a kid. But like literally up until the moment we put him into his cot to go to sleep, he's like running laps in his room. And you're like, are you even tired? Like, are you going to go to bed? And then like, he'll do one little thing. Like he'll like do a long blink and you're like, he might be tired, like get him into bed right now. Give him a bottle like, and maybe he'll go to sleep. Um, so like, anyway, yes. So I could ramble on forever about him, but it, it's, the, it's the coolest thing ever. But the second part of the question, you know, about the life I've lived in and settling down and this and that, it's like, I could see how some people would take it as like, oh, you're so used to, you know, this lifestyle of doing things this way isn't it hard to settle down? But I see it kind of completely the opposite. Whereas like I look back at all those things with such gratitude that I got to experience them for such an extended period of time. Like a lot of people, you know, in sport in general have very short careers or like, you know, experience maybe one or two of the things. And like, when I look back and think about all these things that I went through and experienced, I'm just grateful. Like, and I literally, until I was 34 years old, like I'd never really had a real job besides skating. Like I started getting paid when I was 14 or 15. And, you know, so a 20 year run where I essentially just got to do whatever I wanted to do, you know, and, and travel the world with my best friends doing it. 
and hmm. all that stuff. Like all I can think of is like, I'm so grateful that I got to experience it, that I had these memories that I formed the, you know, the relationships I did through it all, that it brought me to the point where it did. And like, you know, obviously as you get older, you, you know, for me, one of the things about being a professional athlete is there's no stability. Like, you know, you don't know where your next check's coming from sometimes, a lot of the time, or if you do, it's not that big of a check or, you know, whatever. So like, I almost towards the end of my career started kind of craving stability and, and settling down in a way. And like the, the cool part is, is that with my job, I still get to go out and be part of, you know, big things. Like I'm, I'm working on some really cool projects right now and stuff that still kind of, it, it's almost cooler because I'm getting to facilitate watching other people get their, you know, make their dreams a reality. And, and it's cool to be a part of it. Like there's, there's some projects I'm working on that, you know, seeing guys achieve what they're trying to achieve. I almost feel more like not more proud of it, but like the, the feeling I get from watching that happen and knowing that I had a big part in making it happen feels cooler to me than doing it myself, if, if that makes sense. So there, there still is that sense of, it's not like it's just gone overnight. And it was a huge transition for me as well in terms of I started kind of doing some management stuff while I was still skating the shows and and then my role got bigger and bigger and bigger and then eventually stopped skating the shows and did the role full time. But it was like a 18 month or two year kind of process. Whereas I feel like a lot of athletes it gets taken overnight in one way or another. Like the season ends and you don't get re-signed or whatever it is. And so like I'm just incredibly thankful I was able to have that big of a transition to kind of get used to things being different. And like, I just, I'm thankful that everything happened. So like, I feel like, you know, when you, you look at life through like a kind of grateful point of view, then, you know, it's, it's easy to see the positive and everything that's continuing to happen rather than going, um, and also there's not a sense of, oh, I'm missing out on shit. Like I'm a dad and I, I could totally understand how if you were 20 years old and you had a kid and if I had had a kid when I was 20 and I missed out on some of the things I, I got to do in my life because I didn't have kids back then, I would maybe have that sense of, oh, I've missed out on something. But I got to experience all these crazy things and now I'm getting to experience fatherhood in its fullest and I'm just enjoying the shit out of that. So there's no like FOMO. I'm not like, oh, I wish I was out partying or I wish I was out doing this, that, or the other. So um, yeah, anyway, that was a very long-winded answer. No, that <laughs> was perfect. I feel like your transition from a pro skater to a professional career or your father was like one of the smoothest out of any professional skaters. You know what I mean? Like it was so natural between you getting your job at Nitro Circus, you know, marrying somebody you met through work and then, you know, you live in Australia now, you have a family and it was so natural. That's not what you hear pretty often, unfortunately from pro skaters. No, for sure, man. I'm so thankful. And like, I've, I've thought about that a lot. And like, you know, just friends that are athletes now, like, is there, you know, a way to, you know, cause you read about it all the time with professional sports and all these things and transitioning out of it. And it's fucking hard. So I feel very, very, very lucky that I, I, 
was able to go down the path I did and and things happened the way they did for me. Definitely. Um, we're going to open it up for questions in a bit. And I just want to shout out our sponsors, uh, Blank by Rollerblade. And I just want to thank you again, Chris, for joining us on our 100th episode. But um, I'm curious. I'm curious. Do, do you get to skate sometimes? Or if you do, do you get to enjoy it in, a, in like a pure way? Or is there like a pressure to skate really hard where it makes it feel like sometimes hard to enjoy? Uh, it's a, yeah. If you, okay. So I do get to skate sometimes, to be honest, not as much as I would like to. Um, and that's just a product of time, like working full time. My wife's working full time fatherhood and, and stuff like that. And we're working for people in the States. So it's kind of the time zones are all over the shop. And anyway, um, so it's just time is hard to find, uh, at the moment, but, I have been out, like, I think maybe, and there's an awesome crew in Sydney, man, like Dom and TN and uh, Scotty Crawford and, uh, fuck, the list goes on, Gav, uh, Craig, Craig. all the dudes that are so fucking fun to stay with. So I love being out when I can, but and have a few times in the last, in the last year, though, I'd say I've probably maybe got after like four or five sessions with them. Um, I wish it was more often, and I would like to um kind of do it more where I can find time. Uh, and the second part in terms of enjoying it now, I a hundred percent can. And I, I think for a little while there, when I stopped riding the shows, I went through a period where I didn't, it wasn't that I didn't want to skate, but I think, uh, it kind of, you know, if anything you love becomes your job, you know, Austin, you could probably relate, like say with taking photos or something like if you get on a big job and it, it you know, the circumstances aren't perfect or whatever and you you get kind of burnt out on shooting photos or you don't get as much creative input as you want or whatever could happen then in your free time maybe you don't want to shoot photos as much like so i I definitely went through that with skating and i think most of it was like doing outdoor shows and a lot of them like for a period in time there there was a lot that were in the wind and it was like scary as shit like because you still have to drop in and do your hardest trick like it's in not ideal conditions and so like yeah can you talk about that for a second because you you mentioned that earlier about yeah and i i I think that's something that many can't relate to because they see is dropping in on a mega ramp is scary no matter how you cut it but there's a difference obviously right oh for sure so like if our ramp, like I said, if our ramp set up indoors, it's perfect. Like you drop in, you clear the gap to the sweet spot every single time and blah, blah, blah. But as soon as, because you're jumping so far, as soon as a head, say you have a headwind, right? Uh, and it's, you know, strong headwind, like 20, I don't know, 20Ks or whatever. Uh, but it's gusting. So you drop in and you don't know if you're going to get a gust or not. So... If it's consistent, yeah, you can go faster and it's fine. But if you go faster and then you don't get a gust, you land at the fucking bottom of the lander and like explode. Um, And if you drop in normally and then you do get a gust, you come up short. So it's like a double-edged sword with with gusting wind. And it's the same with a tailwind, you know, 
dropping in slower and then not getting a gust and blah, blah, blah. So that wind makes the ramp extremely scary to ride, but it gets to the point of the show where it's like, okay, it's time for, you know, double flips and this and that and the other and, or the double flip train. Like we had to do a train with like double fronts and double backs. And it was like that now, not only are you thinking about your double flip, you're thinking about where you are in relation to the person in front of you and behind you and the wind and the speed and the, so it just, it's kind of a mind fuck. You don't want to uh, land on somebody. You don't want someone landing on you. <laughs> yeah. And, and you want to do your trick good and you want to land it. So, uh, and sometimes you drop in and then the person in front of you is further than they should be. So you pump through the transition to catch up, but then you're like, Oh fuck, I'm going so fast. And whatever. Anyway, so long story short is like when anything that you love becomes your job for, and, and you deal with stuff like that, sometimes you can get burnt out. And I think we did, we did a few years where we did so many shows and we were on the road so much that by the end of it, it, it felt good to have a break. Um, and then like maybe a year into not skating, I noticed I would see spots and be like, I would always see spots, but I would see spots and be like, I've got a trick for that spot. Or like, I'd see a skate park and be like, yo, that looks fun as shit. Like, or even just people, you know, skating play rails. And I'm like, fuck, I want a play rail because I would have so much fun. Yeah. So I think I had to go through that little period of like, kind of whatever. And then the, the, just organically, the fucking buzz came back. And now when I do skate, it's that pure kind of, um, you know, just having fun. And like I said before, I always did what I like to do. Like I always did what was most fun for me. And for me, that's still going really fast and, and jumping big stuff and, you know, doing hard tricks. So, but it's also skating play rails. So, but I don't feel any pressure in terms of what people see or what people think about what I'm doing. Well, um, I got to say that uh, hearing those stories and like the experiences you had through rollerblading, because most people's experiences in skating is like, you know, skating street or skating mini, skating park. But I feel like you've had such a rich experience in all of those fields to an extreme degree. And then an experience not many have had through like this in, in Nitro Circus. And uh, it's really cool because... I see you as someone who's like the first one to make like one of the first ones to make the true blading dream work. Like you've really made the blading dream work in a way where you completely destroyed it on street. You have iconic parts. You've done this other thing that's off the cuff and you've jumped into big plastic balls, you know, <laughs> and on, on the, on the grumpy, you've like done three sixties off the bike onto your blades and, it's it's like the most iconic story so um to hear these uh back-end things about skating the mega ramp in the wind and those experiences on blades are experiences you know not many have on on rollerblades yeah it's very rare so it's a it's a really cool story yeah thank you man i i, I do appreciate that and i i i again feel very lucky for the, the opportunities i had and and everything but I'd also have to disagree, disagree slightly in just that the, when I think of living the blading dream and like, like 
doing it right for blading like john julio someone that pops into my head um yeah for sure not only has he done the same thing with the sections and is this most like iconic skater but then he pours every ounce of energy he has back into skating and it's for sure and that's not something i can say that i've done and you know i wish there was more that i've done you know in, in terms of giving back to to skating and seeing john do that is absolutely inspirational and i i think you know someone like him is what i see as like you know the you know what should be you know glorified in terms of an iconic you know person in skating and, and what he's doing and giving back and and just doing shit like he's just a doer man like he gets shit done and he's still ripping and it's fucking awesome so i yeah yeah I, I completely agree, and I and I hate to make the skateboarding comparisons because I really hate to, but I'm going to do it. But he's like our Tony Hawk in that way. Like he he's just like doing so much good stuff with community and uh, them yeah. skates and everything he does. He he does good things for his team. So for sure, John Julio is an absolute man. So yeah, absolutely. I think. We're gonna. We, I, we can it? go on forever, but but I think we're gonna open it up for questions soon. Is that cool, Austin? Yeah, I'm I'm ready to go because I have some other things okay. too. But I feel like they might show up in the in the questions too. So, okay. I feel like keeping it moving. But I gotta way. say this. I don't mean to stop you, but before we get into questions, it's the hundredth episode, so we have a special guest to ask a special quest question for Chris Affy. So hang on. I have no idea what's going on right now. <laughs> is uh is he bringing somebody in ladies and gentlemen john bellino has a question for chris no way. john's been hanging out that whole time out there <laughs> savage it's been two and a half hours yeah, he's like, God damn, can you shut up <laughs> come on john sit down what up chris yo what up dude how are you doing what up, John? Yo, dude. Miss you, man. I know okay. Yeah, miss so you let's too, man. Jump. Doing good. Whoa. It's flipped. Hey. <laughs> so, okay. Congratulations on 100th episode, Austin. Nice thank you. to see you, too. Fuck yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for joining us, a special Happy. guest. <laughs> um, so I had a question. Um, so you've always been Superman to me, you know. Nothing could stand in your way. But we were skating a street spot once, and uh, there was an airplane going. It was San Diego, so there was a lot of airplanes going. And it took like 10 or 15 minutes. It's like that was your only kryptonite. Like you were like, wait, I need to wait till the airplane stop. And then like, so nothing could stand in your way. Any street clip, any anything that like, you know, vert. Mega ramp. Only thing I saw was airplanes. So, to me, what is what is in your definition your kryptonite? Yeah. Crowds, because when you were doing when you were doing the thing, you had crowds going on. Like, it, what's your biggest kryptonite? Was it airplanes or sound in general? Did you have to wear like earplugs? What was your thing? 
Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a good question. It's really funny that you, you point that out. And thank you for the, the well, kind words. Yeah, cheers, man. <laughs> um, but, uh, dude, planes used to get me big time back in the day. It was like a, and it was, it was a shift in my, where my head was. Like, and the reason why is because it goes away. Like, if it's a consistent noise, it's one thing or the other. But I, so like, let's say you're staying up to a rail and you hear a plane, but then it's like the tail end and it fades off. Like, I feel like the change in noise is what I'm like almost waiting for it. So then instead of paying attention to what I'm doing, I was like waiting for the plane. I don't know what, like, and it was just one of those things that if I heard a plane, and then I think because of that, then over the years it became a superstitious thing where it was like, I just can't go when a plane's going. I, so, I, yeah, but it, it was, it got really bad like that for, for a while. But it's funny, I think almost all skaters have some sort of, you know, bladers, skateboarders, bikers, everyone. I think everyone has some sort of weird, almost kind of twitch like that, that like, you know, totally. playing was my one. Totally. So, so, so that being said, uh, your kryptonite yeah. is planes. I would say planes. Yeah, for sure. Crowds didn't, crowds didn't bother me that much. Yeah. <laughs> that's crazy. That's, 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 that's it. It's planes. Yeah. <laughs> Those it. big metal things in the sky. <laughs> but it's not crowd it's not crowds at all like the crowds didn't fuck with you at all uh not while riding in a show it's like and it depends on the size of the crowd to be honest the smaller the crowd the more it fucks with me because the more people there are the less it intimate it is and the more it's like they're just it's just a sea of people like it could be anything it could be empty seats like so it's yeah and and the other thing too is the 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 mega ramp or the the gigantic ramp we have is the uh, as soon as you drop in, like literally if you wanted to think about something else, you couldn't like it, it moves so quick that it, your focus just goes, you go to tunnel vision anyway. Whereas like say the yeah. Woodward mega ramp, the thing's so mellow and you have so long to like tick, 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 like on the way down, you have so much fucking time to think about shit or get in your head. So that ramp was actually harder for me for that reason. Whereas our ramp, as soon as you drop in, like, a half a second later, you're at like top speed and you just have yeah. tunnel vision. You can't, you can't think anyway. So that definitely helped. <laughs> so like out of everything, you know, um, it's airplanes and I love you to death. I can't wait to see you. Same dude. Um, and you know, that, that was my question. Cheers, everybody. I love you guys. Episode. Thanks, John, for coming you know? on the show. I like that little, little sneak special guest right there. I didn't, can't believe you were waiting in the other room for two and a half hours. <laughs> well, I, I, I wasn't, you know, well, you know, I was, I was, def, I was enjoying it. You know, it wasn't killer, but, okay. you know, <laughs> you got the watch I love the you guys. Love you too, John. Thanks Bye. for joining us. Love you too, John. That was cool. Um, so I'll get into some of these super chats because uh, there's a whole bunch of them to go through. Uh, yeah. We'll kick it hey. off. Welcome back, Billy. Sorry. That's a 100th episode surprise. I like that, that one. Was epic, man. I, w I wish I had a guest to bring in here. <laughs> hey, it's, it's midnight <laughs> over here. There's no one up. Everyone's sleeping already. <laughs> um, first <laughs> super chat. Of course, Chad Hornish comes through. with a, He did a, a bunch of 99 cent super chats so, to set it off. So thanks, thanks Chad, for that. Uh, next super chat is from Mere Mortal, who says, Chris Affey, question. In your intro to VG20, you talk about your theories on skating. Now you're a little older. Do you still feel the same about these theories? 
Um, yeah, I'd say for the most part. I mean, the the outrunning pain one kind of it, it is. I mean, I guess there's still an element. I guess I don't fall over as much anymore, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say so. But the juice thing, for sure, I think that's with anything. I mean, being juiced, it's just another form of like being in the zone or whatever. And like you get into a weird, like that happens to me now playing golf. Like it's, it sounds stupid as shit. But, but <laughs> yeah, so the, no, it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny that you said it was funny. That's why I laughed at that. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, I 100% believe that. Like being juiced is like a different level of like, and anyone who's felt it knows exactly what the fuck we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we all we all kind of have that as skaters that that yeah. that juice, you know. Yeah. Awesome that your theories haven't changed in twenty years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks to Andrew Sheriff, no question, but came through with a hundred dollars super chat. Oh shit! Thanks, Andrew. Cheers, brother. Uh, Jake Watson says there can only be one Highlander. <laughs> uh, Surf Blader. Michael Keeney. Hell yeah. Chee! Hell yeah, brother. Thanks for the super chat there. Uh, Scott Mack, thank you for all the inspiration and being a Blade God forever. Grateful for the contributions you have made. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for the kind words, man. Mushroom Blading, thank you, Happy, for everything you have. Oh, thank you, Happy, for everything you've contributed to skating. That's a lot of uh, gratitude. Yeah, and thank you. Thank you guys, Mushroom Blade, for all of you have contributed to this game. So for real, straight feeling up. Is, feeling is mutual. They've been in the game for a minute. Mushroom Blade doing their thing. Shout out to Mushroom Blading guys. 24 Royal says, the legendary Haffy, we all have been waiting for this. <laughs> <laughs> Let's got some questions, people. Here we go. The Coping Box Podcast. You broke a world record, but it took days before you seemed proud of the achievement due to your execution of the stunt. Can you speak about your attitude towards the accomplishment and about the trick integrity? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I and think explain I what had... the world record is too, I guess, for people who don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's it was the longest, longest jump on skates. I don't know if that's how it's worded, but that's what it was. Um, yeah, trick trick execution, all that stuff. I think. Um, oh yeah, here it is. Um, I think at the time. It, it wasn't, I think the biggest thing for me that was hard to swallow was, uh, there was a few things about it. One was I had talked so much shit publicly leading into that about, <laughs> about <Ty? I> <laughs> and what he did. <laughs> like I, I, I made a, an entire video about it on my, on my website. Um, <laughs> like, so basically part of it, was me going, fuck, you look like a dickhead, dude. Like, you just you just ripped on this dude for, like, months on end and then did exactly the same thing. So I, I felt like a bit of a dickhead for that reason. And then the part two of that was I felt like I could do it so much better if the circumstances were right. So, like, let's say I had, you know, endless run-up and I could just get towed by a car at the right speed and be up to that speed for a hundred feet before the jump and then hit the ramp. I think I could have like probably, you know, 360 the same distance or jumped way fucking farther controlled. But 
I didn't have that circumstance. I had what was available at the time, which was it smashed into a, an arena that was quite small and, um, and uh, a, a wakeboard cable that basically got me up to speed in like a quarter or like three seconds or something like that, which like, so that was, that was, it was, it was kind of the publicly shit talking and then not, and then not executing and, and the circumstances feeling like I could have done it so much better with different circumstances. But he did set the record. I did. Yeah. <laughs> By three feet, yeah. which is hilarious. Yeah. Because I, because I specifically By three feet. on him for doing three feet. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you could have done it by two inches, but you did it by three feet. That's yeah. dope. <laughs> yeah. All right. Moving on to the super chats. We have Renee Dillon who said, tell them how we used to wake up early as fuck to go to Mike's backyard, then UCSD oh. by the graces of our parents and public transportation. Is this go back to the beginning yeah. of the conversation we had? Oh, hundred percent, man. Like Renee was, was there for all that. Like that was, we literally meet at Mike's house. We'd skate his box. Like, cause uh, like you guys probably have seen it. I, I, I don't know if everyone, you know, if they were around at that point would have seen it, but um, he had a, like the NIST start rail basically in his backyard, like the most perfect rail ever. So we would meet up at his house, skate that, and then go skate street. And like I can thinking about it now, I can probably attribute like ninety eight percent of my trick vocabulary on rails to his backyard because there was like it was like a full training center. You had a play rail that was on the ground, and you could, and it was perfect. So you could learn it on a play rail, and then up your confidence, you could do it on the down box. And the down box was essentially a handrail, but it was a little lower and had a, a ramp down the side. And then you could go to a street spot, and there was multiple times where I would go to his house and do a trick like a hundred times on his down rail and then go straight to a spot and do that trick, like, and only do that trick. And so it was almost like the puke play from fucking super, uh, super, or what was it? Uh, pro, uh, semi pro where they run the fucking play until they throw up. And then like, it, it was the same shit. It was like, I did the trick so many times that when I got to the street spot, it was like, I couldn't not do it if that makes sense. So like a bunch of stuff I could definitely attribute to that. But UCSD was one of the main schools we used to go skate because there was like a million spots there. So it was like, if you just got there, you'd have like endless spots for the entire day to skate. So that was the, the daily routine on the weekends back then. I was always super jealous that people who had like boxes nice. somewhere else to practice on because I feel like it's such a, such a benefit to your street skating, like you just said. Oh, dude, 100%. Man. I had the best to the best. The thing was perfect. Mm. We have the original Nesta with a super chat. It says, thank you for being you. That's it. <laughs> no problem. Thank you for being you. <laughs> Jesus Laguna says, character holding their head in their hands saying, you're my number one. Does he mean emoji? <laughs> Thank you, man. Uh, Mir5 says, bro, do we mention the barn burner 720 kind grind? Oh. Do, do you want to talk about that real quick? 
yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, there was one I did. I did the Gap to one in 2004 um, on the Little Rail, which made me realize it was possible to do one. And then um, that was one of those moments where that entire weekend, I, I vividly remember that whole weekend because I was planning on doing that trick uh, at the end of the contest. And I don't think I tried it before then. Um, and I just had it in my head. Like I remember the restaurants I went to to eat at because I was like so dead in my head that I was going to do this trick at this contest. I don't know why those memories stick out or the, those details stick out, but I was with JC Rowe, traveling with JC Rowe, and we were staying in the same hotel. And anyway, uh, yeah, then it was just the perfect trail to do it on. It was kind of scary because it got higher as the rail went down the thing. Yeah. But the down to the flat, it was almost like, you guys know what that's like. Like when you're bombing a hill and you get to a flat part, it's almost like a launch. Yeah. So it was, it was almost like it was off flat ground, but it was also almost off a, a launch. So it was the perfect rail for it. I had it in my head for a long time and it just all came together. Beast mode, straight up beast mode. Hmm. This is a funny one from Sean Michelson. It says, thank you for knocking me out in the first round at Detroit IMYTA. It was an honor. You winning made it sting less. <laughs> Sorry, dude. <laughs> That's like a given. I feel like if you were in a heat with, with you, with Hefe, I'd be like, okay, I'm not making it to the next round. Well, I felt that way about a lot of other people, though. <laughs> uh, Gabe from the Bronx, thank you for no question, but thank you for the super chat, Gabe. Uh, we got 17BKS who says, did your door get kicked in at the first IMYTA Montreal? People thought my friend did it because he yelled sabotage at you, but he was just messing around. Do you recall this did at all? Did door get kicked in? Oh, I, I do actually remember. I did, was that in Montreal? I, I don't yeah, remember. Montreal. I do remember at one point in time, a bunch of people just somehow kicked the door open or I don't know if the door was half open or got kicked open and someone yelled something at me, but I, I was like, what just happened? Like I didn't even know it was. Yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe he did. <laughs> there, there was so much shit that happened in hotels at those contest days that like, yeah. if we remember yeah. a quarter of it, like it's astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got super chat from Harry Inglis. No question. Just a super chat. Thank you, Harry. Another one from Anthony Armstrong. Thank you, Anthony. Roland Bellarude says, "Do you have a favorite? Do you have a favorite out of the different pro skates you received? Was there a company that you always wanted to ride for but never did?" Um, favorite pro skate. It was probably it would have to be the first one because of what it felt like when it happened, and I, and we put so much work into it. I was I was really stoked with that. Uh, how that one turned out, but I think actually the third, the third colorway of my first skate was the one I think looked the best. Maybe I, I liked all of them though. We we put a lot of work into it, and I had a lot of input in it, so I, was, I got pretty lucky in that respect. And we were able to customize it quite a bit because of the type of skate. But yeah. Kato was always the genius behind him for sure. I just kind of told him what I wanted, and he would make magic happen. Um, and I'm sorry, what was the second part of that? Uh, do question? you ever wish you, there was a company that you skated for that you never did? Um, I 
Not really. I get, I, mm, yeah, no, I don't think so. I mean, I wouldn't change anything going, going back. Yeah, that was. I don't know. I don't think he meant for it to be a boot question, but it was. I was. That came into my head because you did skate for Rems like your entire career. So I was yeah. like, did you get sick of it at a certain time or no? Like you just always. No. Had okay. So actually, at one point there was a time when Deshi started that I liked the idea of riding for them, but it was because Randy was my boy and. Like, I just thought it would be so sick to be, it was, I was hanging out with him and Louie all the fucking time and all this stuff. I was living in Orange County at the time and stuff. So that was maybe the only time, but even then it was like, it was only tempting because of the people, not because of the skate, if that makes sense. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. It goes to yeah. like the whole four by four thing. It was like your crew is forming something. You yeah. want to be a part of it, a movement. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Yeah. We have one more super chat. And we'll move on to the regular questions from Ray Mendez, who says, we've had many influential people in blading, but Chris Haffey is on the very top of that list. His contributions to our sport and culture are immeasurable. A great athlete, a true ambassador, and a gentleman. Thank you, sir. That is, I mean, massive, massive compliment, especially coming from Ray. So thank you. And, I mean, I, I'm, yeah, I'm speechless for that. There's been so many people have done so many things that the fact that I even fit into the picture is is still just so cool to me. So to yeah, that's huge, huge compliment. That was well said, Ray. Big shout, big shout out, Ray Mendez. Oh, we got one more um, super chat that just came in. You have questions oh, like that, Billy? Yes. We'll do this one last super chat. And we'll move into the questions. This is from uh, Aaron Schultz. Thank you for the super chat, Aaron. Who says aside from the drip drop grab? Was there any other stunts that you tried and either didn't make it or got the boot you or got the boot you always wanted to go back for and lace? I'm trying to think. I do feel like that's that a one good question. Point, it is. Yeah, that is a great yeah. question. A I think question. a lot of us would have something out there that you never got. I guess that one's the most obvious to me that comes to my head because it was so public. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But uh, trying to think if there was like. I guess the leap of faith too. I tried that a few times and I'm sure I could land it and I never did. Um, surely there's another one. I, I'm trying to remember. I feel like there was a rail or like a rail to gap something that I really wanted to do that I never did or I fell on or, but I, I can't think of it right now. I, I guess that the drip drop gap is probably the, the main one, the one that got away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an epic one. Mm-hmm. Well, all right. Before we get into these questions, I just want to say we're doing this uh, giveaway still, and uh, it's with intuition. So, if you're watching this, please leave a comment and say what's your favorite episode on YouTube, and we will choose that randomly, and you will get a five hundred dollar gift card to Intuition Skate Shop. Also. We are doing a few episodes. We're going to watch uh, some of Chris Happy's sections after this. And that's going to be on our Patreon. And you can be a patron for as low as $3 a month. And that $3 will, you know, every month we get a free, we get a, a random drawing. You get a t-shirt, you get a hat, you get a mug. a mug. We're going to add some stuff to the things. So, yes. Okay. That's I can't do any more spiels. It's getting <laughs> three hours in. Holy moly! Yeah, 
But, sorry, man. I talked a lot just then. No, it's okay. You're the. We're sorry. Awesome. Keeping you up. Yeah. <laughs> but um, so Montgomery Monster says, Chris, have you tried them skates yet? I haven't. No. I'd like, I mean, I'd like to try all sorts of skates that I've, I've always liked to try other skates, which I always did kind of throughout my career. I did try them just to see what they were like, but nothing. It's hard to explain, but every time I try a different skate, it just feels like I'm wearing someone else's skates. <laughs> and then when I go back and put rims on, it feels like I have my skates on. And I know what everyone, everyone knows what it feels like. It's got to be rims. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's got to be rims. Huge yeah. shout out to Kato. Yeah, Kato is the man. Yeah, I want to. I want to ask something real quick upon that, because um, you have clips in words. I think where you're wearing razors, right? Oh yeah, I think in um, it was one of. Um, it was a mind game video, I think. No, it was in. It was in. Um, oh, I might have been mind game as well, but I think in Noir I had a couple clips. In, oh, maybe was that just you like trying razors just because or? No, no, no. So that was that was a weird point in time where I needed a pair of skates and that was the transition between the old style rims and the UFS rims. And, uh, when the UFS rims came, that was when the sunshine distribution deal happened. So we were just waiting on the production UFS rims to come in and I needed skates really bad. And so Kato was like, dude, I'm not going to tell you not to skate. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point in time, it was like when I was skating all day, every day still. So it was like I would I would beat the shit out of skates. So I like legitimately needed new skates. And so I, I rode the – I think they were white Shimas, the Shima 2s or whatever. Yeah. But then I broke my ankle and my leg and then like two weeks after starting to ride them. And then by the time I healed, the rims were, were in stock. So – it was very short lived. Oh shit! Well, um, Franco Sorella says, "What do you want to see done differently in skating nowadays? Do you watch skating uh, nowadays? What do you see?" Yeah, <laughs> you see? Much, I always, I always keep up with it. Like, and I mean, especially with Instagram and stuff, it's so easy to keep up. It's almost like you'd have to try not to, like, like actively not want to and I, I still care about skating and i want to see what people are doing and and all that stuff and i, I mean honestly i just i think skating's rad the way it is right now and it is the way it is because of the people that are doing it and i'm always very careful about you know my opinion at this point shouldn't even matter to anyone like i, I always remember when i was in the thick of it like a prime of my career and i was skating 10 hours a day and doing all that shit and someone who hadn't skated and forever would come back in and have all these opinions on what needed to change and shit. I was like, who the fuck like, get the fuck out of here. Like, I don't care what you did back when, like you're not, you didn't help get it to where it is right now. You may have back then and laid a foundation, but it is the way it is right now because of the stuff that people have been doing over the last five years and it's fucking sick right now. So get the fuck out of here. So like, even if I had an opinion, I don't think it's very valid at this point. So like, but I think skating sick anyway. And it is, like I said, it's that way because the people that are involved, the people that care about it and skating's theirs and they can like skating is beautiful in that way that it, it can be whatever you want it to be. And 
that's what, you know where it is right now is in an awesome spot in my opinion. Hmm. All right. Well, Chris, we've been asking you so many questions. I honestly think we're just going to take two more. And after that, we're going to get into this uh, these sections, and you can check that out on our our Patreon. It's uh, in link in our bio, three dollars. So, next couple of questions. Sorry, he's on time. Twenty four Royale says, "Who would you consider as the top five greatest skate- skaters you have ever skated with?" That's a tough question. Um, I mean, it's tough and it's not tough. It's tough because there's so many good ones. It's hard to pick five. Uh, I think at the top of the list, I, I honestly think probably one of the most talented people on skates I've ever seen in my life is Aaron Feinberg. Um, like, good choice. Yeah. Yeah, and it shows. Like he he didn't stay for how long and threw skates on him and then killed it at Blake Cup. Like he's just like the most naturally talented, one of the most naturally talented people I've ever seen. And, you know, it was, I, I didn't get to, yeah. I like, I, I didn't get to skate with him a whole lot in person. I think maybe you did more Billy, like in the later mind game years, but watching him skate in person was unfucking believable. Um, so I'd, I'd put him probably at the top. Uh, Shima's got to go on that list. And then I can't put him in an order, I don't think. Um, Far out. Broskow, 100%. He's still unbelievable. Like, every time I see new stuff that he's doing, it boggles my mind. Um, How many is that? Three? three. Um, Yep. I'm going to forget someone. Oh, Aragon? Fuck. Aragon did some shit. Dude, that I've seen him do some shit that was heavy. And, like, for some reason, I think some of it was underappreciated because it was always fucking perfect. Like, you, you could take something like Aaron Feinberg where, like, some of the tricks he did, it looked like he was about to die. And then he landed it somehow. And in, in some way, I think it almost made the reality of how crazy what he was doing was more apparent. And then I've seen Aragon do some tricks that were full-on death-defying, and he did them so perfect that I don't know if people that didn't see it live or weren't at the spot can even wrap their head around what he did, like, if that makes sense. Um, You got one more. Four, five... Dude, there's so many. I might have to go with Mike Johnson. Ooh. Yes. He might be watching still. He was watching earlier. I don't know if he still is, but. Yeah, Mike. Mike is the dude, man. He was, like, always one of my favorite people to skate with. And, like, technically speaking, he did the – I think he probably did the hardest tricks, like switch-ups and all that shit. So I'll throw him on there. I think that's a good list. I know I've forgotten people. I mean, Billy, you can be on that list. There's fucking – so ah, many people. Nah, nah. But that, 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 that's it's a good really list. That's a yeah, great list. Really yeah. Yeah. Um, I love that list. Uh, last question before we get into these sections. South Coast Inline Media says, question for Chris. 
What is your favorite sh- section you have filmed or top three? I second the request for a Dom West collab. Great episode <laughs> at Jump Street Podcast. Hell yeah, Dom West collab would be sick as fuck. Yeah, I, I mean, if yeah, I would love to work with Dom on something, but again, time is is hard these days. Dom, I love all Dom shit, but um, in terms of sections, I think I'd probably just have to say the obvious ones, like the four by four videos because and VG twenty probably, which which I think is the ones we're gonna watch. But I, I think just the pivotal moments. But honestly, if I, when I look back at all my sections, it's almost like tattoos in a way that they're like a period of time in my skating and a lot of them are while they're the same are so different like what i was wearing and what i was into at the time and music and stuff like that so like looking back on them like i have an affection towards each one not in because of the skating but because it brings back all the memories of filming that part um so i kind of every now and then i'll look back on some just to kind of like remember those times when I mean, killer boots was one of my favorite videos to film and such. So yeah, um, I guess that's it. Yeah. When we were talking earlier about what sections to watch later, like you start thinking about them, like they're all fucking bangers. It's so hard to pick them, but, uh, those definitely good choices in those sections. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. There's a so couple many of iconic tricks. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a couple of super chats that came in. We'll get these and then, uh, we'll call it a night. Um, this one's from my, my cousin, Alex Baz, who says, who slash when is your next game of Blade? <laughs> Fuck. Um, I was waiting for someone to ask this. Yeah, I don't know. To be determined. but uh, It's got to be an Aussie. You got to battle CJ on like some... CJ would fucking kill me. CJ, uh, CJ at Bondi. Yo. Uh, it's not even... I mean, I guess that follows the fucking theme. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> CJ at Bondi. Yeah. We might have to see if we can make it happen. Even if it's a have Don film it. That would be your that would be your collab with Dom too. Oh, far out! Here we go. Getting, Knock them all out in one out. shot. <laughs> For sure. We'll see. Maybe. Uh, we have one last super chat from Racer and Skater, who asks, "Is Rem still alive?" Yeah, man, it's still alive. It's. I mean, I feel like it's tough. A lot of brands, you know, are still trying to do stuff, but it's, it's not the easiest thing. And Kato's got, you know, kids and family and all that stuff. So, you know, focus can be other places sometimes, but, uh, yeah, it's still going for sure. Hell yeah. Kato keeping it alive. Yeah. Um, we're going to wrap it up. I do have one more question, Billy. Don't kill me. I feel like, nope, I feel like you. this is a good thing to, to wrap it up on, but, um, so people skating obviously nowadays is a lot different than it was 15 years ago. The level of skating is still high, just in a different direction. And you were like the pinnacle of that quote unquote old school era of blading yeah. where hammers and everything like you were like the guy for that. I'm curious what you feel about skating nowadays. If there's anybody from like the newer generation that you look up to or think who's like one of the best out now, it'd be interesting to hear an opinion from someone like you about skating nowadays. Um, I mean, like I said before, I'm kind of careful with it just because I don't want for, and for a couple of reasons too, is like, just because, and, and this isn't the case, but like, let's say take scooters, for example, like I, I would never publicly bash scootering one, cause I don't hate on it, but two, I would never want someone to stop doing something they enjoy doing because of my opinion, like who the fuck am I to say, you can't have fun doing that thing that way. And skating's like that. 
like I, my opinion shouldn't matter and it shouldn't make someone think or be self-conscious about having fun skating the way they do. So I don't like to kind of put anything out there that's kind of opinionated in that way. But um, uh, in terms of like stuff I enjoy watching, dude, I love like all the stuff, like the, the Sunday brunch crew, man. Like I, I, that shit, I love watching uh, even, even the street skating stuff, like Casey's, all of Casey's stuff, all of his Casey Dilla arts were mm-hmm. fucking awesome. Bellino's new part was awesome. Billy's new part was awesome. And I know some of that skating kind of lends itself back towards the skating I did or that style of skating. But I guess for me, it's just what I relate to the most, which is what kind of makes me want to skate the most. Um, but that's not to say I don't watch or like any of the other things that, you know, people are doing, like the real stylish stuff and so and like to me that stuff's more impressive because you know if you look at a lot of stuff i did i had control to an extent but there was a lot of shit that was out of control and flaily too and i i admire the precision that a lot of people have these days and the the trick choices they they kind of go for that i would never even see on spots and the creativity and stuff like that so i have you know i i like watching all skating um but I guess those are the types of things I gravitate towards most these days. Right, that makes sense. Yeah, it's cool that you still like follow up and everything, and and those sections, you know, it's cool. I appreciate the same thing too. When Billy came out with the VOD, old John shit, like it still yeah. gets me hyped to skate too. And I think that's what's most important. It's what gets you hyped to skate, no yeah. matter what it is. You know, as long as it's getting you motivated to put skates on, it's good shit. For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I'll say a couple things. One. Chris, I love you. I hope you get that bug up your ass one day and you just say one day, hey, man, I want to film a section. That'd be great to see. If not, we still love you. Um, (laughs) But I'll also say thank you for taking three hours of your time to join us. And I truly believe you're a gift. Uh, Your contribution to skating was so powerful uh, in every way, whether it was the street or outside of skating with the Nitro Circus and uh every other way fighting for this uh industry or or pushing it forward and we all owe you a debt of gratitude in my opinion and thank you for 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 giving us episode 100 thank you so much and uh it was really awesome to to share this time with you um before before i love you guys too and (laughs) i i have all the time in the world for you guys uh, I'm stoked to be here for episode 100. I've been following along from the from the very start. I remember are you, you're coming up on three years, right? In August. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Damn, you know my birthday. The reason why <laughs> is because I got married like maybe two or three weeks after the first episode dropped, and I was like on my honeymoon on fucking catching up on episodes, just laying by the fucking beach. So that's it's, like, it's, oh, it's, uh, so cool. We we share a similar anniversary, but. Um, yeah. yeah so congratulations on going this far and dude i just i love what you guys do man like and especially for me it's cool because i know a lot of the people that you have on here so it's almost like a way for me to catch up with a lot of old friends mm-hmm. with like you know life busy and stuff like that but it's like i can jump in my car and all of a sudden i'm listening to these familiar voices and you know getting to hear these stories that remind me of shit and like it's fucking rad like i remember listening to mike's episode and I was just driving along listening to you guys reminisce Billy and like his fucking laugh is like the most, one of the most yeah. in the world. 
and I'm just driving along like fuck yeah, sure. just like feeling good. It feels like catching up with old friends. So I love what you guys fucking do, and I I keep following along, and I'm stoked to have been able to finally join you guys for an episode. Hell yeah! Thank you so much. That means a lot, especially coming from someone like you. Uh, definitely hits hits right here, man. Thank you so much yeah, for that. Dude, you guys are crushing. That's it. dope. Thank you so much. And uh, before we end this. Do you have any shout outs or any uh, words of wisdom for people watching before we get into uh, watching these sections? Um, fuck, there's too many people to shout out, but I'll try. Like, I mean, everyone back in San Diego, fucking Mike Leaf, Kevin Smith, uh, Renee, all those guys, Brent, you know, B-Bell, rest in peace. I mean, all Kato, fucking, I've, dude, the list is so long. My brain just turned to mush when I started trying to think of, of everybody. I mean, Brandon Negretti, Rest in peace as well. He was one of the biggest. I mean, yeah. He he, him and I had a bond that you know not a lot of people had with a filmer. And like some of my heaviest parts, he filmed all the tricks, whether they were like for his videos or not. And it, it was because we worked so well together. We knew what we were doing. I trusted him to get stuff filmed the right way. He knew how to kind of work with me and how I was at spots. And um, yeah, I was blessed to you know, had his friendship and, and been around him the, you know, for the the whole time he was here and be a part of the projects he worked on and, and all of that. Um, so I can't, I wouldn't be where I am without him. Um, fuck, the list is so long. I mean, I already said Kato, but he's the same. I, I don't know if I gave him enough credit. Like he, uh, you know, changed my life unimaginably uh you know even back in the day on tours like he was from europe so we would tour europe and he would make sure i got to experience europe not just the skate park and the skate shop and the, like all that shit like he showed me europe you know and like shit like that like that is just priceless um and just being a part of rams and us doing everything we did like he is he changed my life like i said i, I don't know how to say it in a in a bigger way um fuck i'm gonna forget people like i i yeah i i don't have a I, my brain's mush right now but i there's too no, many it's people. too much it, 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 it's it's three hours and we we've asked a lot yeah. out of you and uh mm-hmm. we've asked you a lot of questions and we have to let you stop it's a village right man. it's a village i'm here thinking yeah. a lot of people you've totally. been in the game long enough you have a million people to thank but we'll, we'll start ours. Yeah, yeah. Let's thank you again, once again, for joining yeah. us on episode 100. Thank you, everybody, for coming along for 100 episodes with us. This is just the start, guys. You know, we, we got more episodes coming. Um, thank you again, The Blink by Rollblade, for sponsoring this episode. And if you haven't already, enter our 100th episode giveaway. We're giving away a $500 gift card to Intuition Skate Shop. All you got to do is drop a comment in this video. Let us know what your favorite episode has been or favorite moment. And we're going to pick a winner on episode 101, next episode coming up. Everybody, thank you again. Chris, stay on the line. We got more. <laughs> and Chris, this. one more time, I got to thank you again, brother. Uh, thank you guys, man. And thank it's everyone for coming to, to join us. Fucking out. That's been awesome. Hell yeah. Awesome. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you all on the next one. Peace. You. Yeah.